Good morning. Happy Tuesday. It's going to be a terrific day. We're going to have the right outlook, the right mindset. Your day will be what you make it. We started off with Anthony Evans featuring Kirk Franklin. Incredible. Now you're listening to Evie McKinney, E6. Coming up in a few, we're going to have the headlines, what we're going to be talking about today. Hope everyone's day's off to a good start. I got an Thank you to everyone listening online. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for logging on to the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. Thank you for logging on to JohnNoRadio.com. You gotta proclaim it and you gotta claim it.
It is Torn Up Tuesday, but we are turning up with a little praise and worship. Gotta start the day off right. It is 10 after the top of the hour. Well, 9-11 now <laughs> on my end. 11 after the top of the hour. Let me tell you what I feel. I feel. And ain't nothing 
Do not let anything bring you down today. Stay in your calm. This too shall pass. Whatever it is, it's temporary. If it is not going to matter in five minutes, five days, five months, or five years, let it go. No point getting upset, getting angry, losing sleep, or gaining stress. The voice of Erica Campbell, feel all right. In a couple seconds, we're going to run through the headlines. It is a quarter past the top of the hour, and it is that time. to everyone listening around the world everyone logged on to the quality music zone qmzradio.com and johnoradio.com of course i gotta say good morning to my studio audience courtesy of clubhouse it is tuesday april 25th turned up tuesday we're playing yesterday's hits and favorites today <laughs> thank you so much for joining me for coffee in tow world news on the go we do this every monday through friday <clears throat> excuse me i'm losing my breath here every monday through friday 9 a.m to 1 p.m eastern and this is where i read the news and we share our views don't forget to follow me on twitter at me media moments on instagram moments underscore with underscore me underscore media and on tiktok moments with me media and here are the headlines we have coming up for you today out of the caribbean corner cal resumes flights to caracas Ryan asks attendees at a public meeting to grade his performance, and that is in the Cayman Islands. Former Haitian Prime Minister calls on government to sanction prominent nationals from Dominican Republic. Starbucks opens first local outlet in Guyana. Mm, interesting. They're spreading their wings. U.S. urges Suriname to sign Los Angeles Declaration on Migration. Trade and business information portal making business easy in Trinidad and Tobago. A Jamaican wanted for murder at home has been arrested in the United States. And my voice is going. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, leader of the opposition, Golding, um, says in a new internal polling system, um, there is to be selected winnable candidates 
to represent the PNP in the next general election. Police constables convicted in 2012 of manslaughter of a schoolgirl have been acquitted and pesticides suspected in Reach Falls fish kill. Out of Latin America, Mexico discovers 11,520 tequila bottles with liquid meth at port. Okay, so somebody's trying this because they watch too much Queen of the South. On the international scene, South Africa begins evacuations of citizens trapped in Sudan. In news out of North America, everybody's talking about Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon. Going to talk about that. ALA number of unique book titles have been challenged. That has jumped 40% in 2022. So, Justice Thomas Clarence, yeah, same one. Gifts scandal. Of course, you know, we heard about his lounging on the yacht and the private jet flights, you know, courtesy of his billionaire friend. Well, that scandal highlights a double standard for ethics in government. President Biden says his top domestic policy advisor, Susan Rice, is leaving. And, of course, President Biden made his announcement for re-election in 2024. And some Democrats feel he is the best option to go up against either Trump or the sanctimonious. Interesting. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Lending money can cause friction, and here's how to avoid it. First Republic Bank, more than $100 billion of withdrawals this year. I got something to say about withdrawals. <laughs> I'm being very bad when I, I say this, but I'll, I'll save my comment for later on. And we're going to have a, more about understanding Fed now. In health and science news, why the VA in Atlanta is throwing drive through baby showers for pregnant veterans. On the lifestyle scene, do you want to own your private island? Well, I know I do. Well, one is for sale in Scotland, but there's a catch. And believe it or not, news, of course, listen to this one, Justin, Justice Clarence Thomas. He's, we didn't get to talk about it yesterday, so I really hope we get to get to this one. But Justice Clarence Thomas, he's okay with death row inmate being executed before DNA lawsuit concludes. Please let us get to that one. And the ex-officer, right, who fatally shot Breonna Taylor, okay, returns to the police force. But not only that, has been rehired as a deputy. What is the message that we are sending to the public at large? Oh boy, on the, on the entertainment scene, The Brew, ballroom dancer and longtime Dancing with the Stars, Judge Len Goodman dies at the age of 79. Uh, in New York, a jury must decide if Ed Sheeran plagiarized Marvin Gaye. And a Canadian actor dies after undergoing 12 plastic surgeries to look like BTS singer Jimin. Folks, get a grip get out from under the knife unless it is something to save your life please think twice stop trying to change your features to look like somebody else we have some very talented makeup artists out there who can transform your face with the stroke of a brush okay no need to put yourself through the agony 
and risk your life. We're going to have the details of those stories and, of course, always great conversation after a little more music. And it's time for us to turn up. Here is Jennifer Lopez. Featuring LL Cool J, All My Love. Baby, don't go. Baby, don't go. Like this, I don't believe I just had my last real kiss. I do believe we'll laugh and reminisce. Wait a minute, don't bounce, baby. Let's talk about this, man. Well, I'm bouncing and I'm out, son. I gotta leave you alone. Cause I'm good, holding down my spot. And I'm good, repping the girls on the block. And I'm good, I got this thing on lock. So without me, you'll be fine, right? What you had, baby girl, I'm what you had You'll be needing me, but too bad Be easy, don't make decisions when you mad The path you chose to run alone I know you're independent, you can make it on your own Here with me, you had a home But time is of the essence, oh, why yeah. spend it alone, huh? Some nights I waited up for you oh, Promises you made about coming through So much time you wasted That's oh. It makes a cat nervous, the thought of settling down Especially me, I was creeping all over town Thought my tender touch could lock you down I knew I had you, as cocky as it sounds The way you used to giggle right before I put it down It's better when you angry, come in, I'll prove it now Come in. Stop playing, <laughs> you gaming, uh, I gotta leave you alone Happy Tuesday. Thank you once again to everyone listening on the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com, and everyone listening on JanoRadio.com. Don't forget, tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, it goes down on The Rose Solo Show, live on QMZ Radio, Jano Radio, ViscosityBlend.com, WKRIS, CoffeeRadio.com, and that's Coffee with a K. The interview with Shinehead, legendary dance hall, international reggae and dance hall star. Set your clocks. We're going to be live streaming the um, interview through Clubhouse as well in the Rose Solo Show House. Twenty-five after the top of the hour, you got somewhere to be at the bottom. You have five minutes to get there, but please be safe. The voice of 3LW, no more, baby, I'ma do right. To my clubhouse family, thank you for being here with me. Especially for those of us who were hanging out last night together in Days After Dark. 
Thank you for waking up with me. Here is Black featuring in sync. Bring it all to me. Squeeze in one more TLC creep.
time for us to go ahead and get started. It is the bottom of the hour. Thank you, TLC. Thank you once again to everyone logged on to the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com and JohnNoRadio.com. And of course, good morning and thank you to everyone right here with me on Clubhouse. We are getting started in, and we're kicking it off in the Caribbean corner. We up, yeah. Yes, we are up. First up, first story, CAL resumes flight to Caracas. Story courtesy of CaribbeanLoopNews.com. From May 13, Caribbean Airlines Limited, CAL, will restart its Trinidad to Caracas service on a weekly basis. In a statement, CAL said flights to Caracas's Simón Bolívar International Airport will operate every Saturday with increased frequency expected later on. <laughs> I'm laughing at that one. Okay, come on, Clubhouse. I'm not playing with you today, Clubhouse. Not today. Not today. Okay, my apologies, folks. It ain't me. It's a Clubhouse thing. Yeah, so I'm laughing because... um. From my understanding, some of the tr- the women in Trinidad are not too happy <laughs> with the um, Venezuelan and uh, Colombian women <laughs> who go to Trinidad. They say they're taking away their men. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. So let's. Will Trinidadians go to Caracas? I hope so. They'll go and visit. You know, the exchange is no robbery. They say. Anyway, let me get serious for a second. The resumption of the Caracas service is a significant step for CAL in connecting the Caribbean and providing its customers with, quote-unquote, added value. Garvin Medera, CEO, CEO of Caribbean Airlines, restated the airline's commitment to offering convenience to its passengers, allowing them to fly within and to and from the Caribbean with The resumption of the flights to Caracas, Venezuela, further positions Caribbean Airlines as a leading carrier in the region. CAL added that travelers can look forward to more travel options to and from Caracas, Venezuela, and other destinations in the Caribbean. Uh, CAL, can you work out um, flights from Miami to Montego Bay or um, Kingston? I don't know why you're ignoring that market that lane i don't know i don't understand the business sense behind it but um yeah there are no flights out of mon kingston i'm sorry out of miami into montego bay so you're forced to you're forced to take american airlines or um i think JetBlue. i'm not sure but i know american airlines frontier is another one that does Frontier still go to Jamaica from Miami, though? Not sure, but yeah, that I know. So do something about that. Fix that up. Clean that up real quick. All right, next up, Brian asks attendees at a public meeting to grade his performance in the Cayman Islands. Story courtesy of Cayman.loopnews.com. Last week, Minister for Tourism Kenneth Bryan held a public meeting in Georgetown where he shared details of how he thought the government had progressed since the election. Some of the information shared include or included the rise in tourism numbers, training for Caymanians, cost of living assistance, 
Increases in the salaries of civil servants, meal assistance for public schools, and money for scholarships. Starting the meeting, Brian said, I want you to think about this as a midterm report card. He also went on to say that I'm asking you to listen closely with an open mind and grade my performance and the performance of the PACT administration. Brian indicated that he wanted attendees to have an open mind because when he took office, there was so much to do, but unfortunately, very little money to do it with. That's a, that's a nice disclaimer. Right? I needed to grade me, but let us bear in mind that if I fall short, it's because we didn't. there was so much work to be done and we didn't have enough money to do it. How many politicians are willing to take that risk? To stand up in front of the very folks who um, voted for them, to, you know, for them to be able to have the office that they hold. How many of them are willing to stand up and ask to be graded? Very brave of you, I will say, um, Kenneth Bryan. I welcome that approach because, after all, it is the people who put you there, and they're the people who you need to answer to. Remember yesterday we spoke about who's the government? We are the government, but somehow we forgot that, and we made those whom we put in positions of power feel that they are the government. Yeah. So... I'm I'm interested to hear the outcome, <laughs> the results of that one. Definitely looking forward to that. I hope he will share the um results with us and the feedback. And not many of us are very receptive when it comes to feedback, right? We get on the defense, but let us hope he will have an open mind, be receptive, take it with a grain of salt, and look at the areas, look at the successes, of course. And but more importantly, look at the areas of opportunity. Right. Let's jump on down to Guyana. Courtesy of Caribbean.loopnews.com, Starbucks opens its first local outlet in Guyana. Okay, Starbucks is taking on the world. International coffee house Starbucks is now in Guyana. And according to President Dr. Irfan Ali, the opening of opening of Guyana's first Starbucks is testament to the confidence of international companies in Guyana's economy. President Ali made the statement during his feature remarks at the official opening of the international franchise's first local outlet at the Amazonia Mall. That mall is located in province on the east bank of Demorara. The president said that it is an important investment for the services industry and challenged the company to use locally produced coffee for their products and to sell local pastries. Okay, I like that. I like that he is challenging them, but don't just challenge them. It should be written in the agreement that that is what they do. The go-to must be locally produced coffee and local pastries first, and then you can um, fill up on the back end with imported goods. So I like that approach, and I think that approach is needed throughout the Caribbean. We welcome investors. We welcome um, international companies wanting to set up shops, um, various franchises throughout the Caribbean because at the end of the day they are in some way contributing to the economy yes we may say but they're pumping the money out 
but there is tax to there is a tax um benefit right because if there for example in jamaica gct is added to the cost of the cup of coffee or whatever you purchase that has to be turned over to the government right so there is some benefit there and there is also employment you know i know most of the coffee shops don't have a lot of people the staff is low but still even if it's three people it's three people with a job three less unemployed okay so i definitely applaud um definitely applaud that i like ali's approach and i'm i'm going to write on that and ask that all leaders <laughs> especially those who are um in charge of the ministries that oversee international and foreign trade and investments that sort of thing that we make it a priority local produce must be used first okay all right next up former haitian prime minister calls on government to sanction prominent uh, nationals from the dominican republic this story courtesy of nationwide radio jm.com Former Haitian Prime Minister Claude Joseph is calling on the government to sanction at least 53 prominent nationals from the Dominican Republic after the Spanish-speaking country banned 39 Haitians from entering the country. Joseph wrote on his Twitter account that he had presented a list to the government of Prime Minister Dr. Ariel Henry to sanction the 53 Dominicans. He also, among the list of individuals banned, He's also among the list of individuals banned from entering the Dominican Republic. Oh, okay. Joseph says the sanction is needed as those from the neighboring country are a threat to Haiti, spreading hate speech, racist behavior, and discriminatory practices against Haitians. The discriminatory practice against Haitians has been going on for a very long time. I know there are some Haitians that go across the border and work in the Dominican Republic and then they go back home because, and yes, many Haitians do speak Spanish as well. But it's time for the racist behavior to stop because um, Dominicans should not be racist. And I think they all forgot they are of Afro descent as well. You know, um, being of a lighter complexion does not make you any better than the Haitians, right? Or the darker-skinned Haitians, I should say. We need to stop it. Um, oops. Okay, I, I'm apologizing to everyone. If you're hearing any static, it's not me. It is courtesy of Clubhouse. Next story, the United States urges Suriname to sign Los Angeles Declaration on Migration. Story courtesy of Caribbean.loop News. So the United States is urging Suriname to join 21 countries in the region that are supportive of the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration, and that's according to a U.S. spokeswoman. Launched at the Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles, California in June 2022, the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration and Protection aims to mobilize the entire region for bold action on migration issues in the region. We know that not all migrants enter the United States and other countries through regular routes, so we see visa requirements as an important step in addressing irregular migration. Well, that's what the U.S. Embassy spokeswoman said. Ah, 
I saw a video <laughs> and I'm here. I'm, let me see if I can find it. I came across, you know, you find, I, I see every day you see more and more why they want to get rid of TikTok. Can't blame them, right? We're learning too much on TikTok. Too much truths or too many truths are being exposed on TikTok. But I saw a video where a man was talking <laughs> and I was, I had to laugh and I'm like, hmm. So he's saying the essence of what he's saying is the migration that we see taking place. It's really a rec reclamation or reclaiming of what is theirs. Because when um, Mexico separated Texas, Arizona, California, which other state is it? Let me look at the map again because I don't want to miss any state. But I think we know the states, right? When they separated and the U.S. got those states, families were split because there were some parts some families that were in some parts of those states. Um, so interesting. I'm really trying to find, oh my gosh. You know something? I need to do a better job of saving the videos. I have a lot of improvement, a lot of work to do. But um, yeah, I didn't save that one. Hmm. But yeah, I, I when I saw it, I was like, that's pretty interesting. Yep, they're reclaiming what is theirs. So we, sh oh, I think I found it. I think I found it. Bear with me here. Let me see. I hope this one, this is it. Let's see. The one that Donald okay. Trump defines as. Let me start it over. And here we go. We have this immigration problem. And I don't mean the one that Donald Trump defines as a problem or that others define as a problem on the far right who were reactionary, you know, minute men at the border. I'm talking about the reason we have a narrative problem around immigration and the reason we have such vitriol aimed at folks coming across the border. But keep in mind, only one border, right? The Minutemen do not camp out in boats off the coast of Nova Scotia, <laughs> shooting at those crafty Canadians as they sneak into our country to take advantage of our superior health care. <laughs> they don't do that. It's just down there at that other border, which I beg to remind you is an artificial border created at the outcome of a war, which was a war of aggression started on false pretense by this country, not what they taught us in eighth grade, but now that is what happened. So really folks are coming home. Can I get an amen? People are coming home. Right. Right. They're coming home. They're coming home and their families were here a long time before the vast majority of ours, and yet we tell them that they don't belong. Very interesting. The reason this is even possible, though, is because of the narrative we've told about how we, and now I'm talking about those of us of European descent, because black folks know how they got here. Right? A lot of Asian folk know how they got here. A lot of folks were brought over, particularly Chinese folk, to work the railroads, didn't care how many of them died. Right? Indigenous folks know how they got here. Right? But white folks have told a fiction. Right? White folks' story has basically been this. Our people came for liberty and freedom. We came for principles like that. Those people are just coming for stuff, right? That's what we say in so many words. We came for principles, they're coming for stuff. Let's clear this up. We did not come for liberty and freedom. And I know this because if we had come for liberty and freedom, we would have established liberty and freedom. And I don't just mean, and I don't just mean with regard to people of color, I mean each other. Like white folks spent a lot of time in the colonies just trying to figure out who was the bigger witch, right? Like we just would kill each other 
You know, it wasn't like one big happy white family. It was just, you're not a good enough Christian. No, you're not a good enough Christian. No, you're not a good enough Christian. Now I'm going to drown you because you're a warlock. I mean, that was the kind of, like, in a nutshell, that was the colonial experience. So that was not schoolhouse rock, right? Yeah, right? So we didn't establish liberty and freedom even vis-a-vis one another. Let's be honest, we came for stuff. We came for stuff like opportunity, stuff like land, stuff like the ability to survive because things weren't working back home. Like, we need to be honest about, like, our people were the losers of Europe. And I, and, and I don't mean that, to, I'm not trying to be judgmental or harsh, I'm just being honest. Like, when Donald Trump says Mexico's not sending their best, okay, you think England sent their best? <laughs> the hell <laughs> I'm sorry I'm glad I saved it <sighs> do we agree with him or some parts of what he said man Ethel missed something really good I hope he catch the replay <laughs> <laughs> oh yes oh yes interesting <laughs> but i'm glad it's a white person that is reminding white folks <laughs> telling the truth because we can't tell the truth right we're not allowed to tell the truth well not on a public level because god forbid <laughs> why is the truth accepted through comedy and not through books and teachings <laughs> that's the real question uh, so so good morning everybody good so morning chief yeah <laughs> well oh, um, i thought that was i don't sounded like tim wise i don't know if i don't know who he is let me um let me see something i here. think that's tim i think that's tim wise he has a number of books we hosted him in tulsa oh really yeah it doesn't say on the video who he is because um, I downloaded it from TikTok. I saved it, but I guess I can't even make out the TikTok handle because, oh my gosh, otherwise I'd go and look it up. But go ahead, Chief. Go right ahead. So Yeah, he, I think that's Tim Watt. Who is he? What What does he do? Does he go around giving speeches? Is he a priest? What yeah, he yeah. He's, he's, he's a lecturer. Oh, he's a lecturer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Arthur. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm not sure what his degree, what his degrees are, but he did go to. He came to the. We hosted him at the uh, law school here in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he tells it like it is. I take it. Yeah, yeah. In, in every in, in every setting. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lecture and not a comedic set. Chief? No, that's his. That's that's how he. That's how he delivers. Okay. You know, it's funny to us because we already know that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know it to be true. Yeah. But of course. But yeah, he has a he has a lot of there's a lot of uh, videos on online. <laughs> so enjoy. <laughs> so they are coming back for what's theirs. Let them in. We say we are short on labor, so let them in. You know, so you don't have to have children missing out on it. 
on an education. You don't have children being tired because they have to be working, right? All right, next up, Chief, your mic. Sorry, <laughs> let me okay. find my phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up, Trade and Business Information Portal, making business business easy in Trinidad and Tobago. Courtesy of tt.loopnews.com, conducting trade and business can be a daunting task especially as it relates to obtaining information and navigating the various government regulations and requirements. The Ministry of Trade and Industry, in collaboration with other government agencies and private sector organizations, has created the Trinidad and Tobago and Business Information Portal, TBIP, to make the process easier for citizens and businesses alike. So, my folks in TNT or anyone in the um, in the U.S. or Canada or the U.K., wherever you are and you want to get some business done in Trinidad and Tobago, please go ahead and check that site out. It is the T-B-I-P, and you can get more information at info.ttbizlink.gov. Dot tt a lot of dots okay so info dot tt bizlink.gov.tt all right next up jamaican wanted for murder at home arrested in the united states story courtesy of barbados.loop news a jamaican man who has been wanted in westmoreland jamaica for murder since may 2022 has been arrested in the united states the man whose identity has not been made public was also wanted in Jamaica for unlawful possession of a firearm and wounding with intent to do grievous bodily harm, a release from the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement said on Friday. Enforcement and Removal Operations, ERO, Boston's Fugitive Operations Team Officers, arrested the unlawfully present fugitive in Bridgeport, Connecticut on April 14th. In June 2022, the U.S. Border Patrol in San Isidro, California, apprehended the Jamaican and served him a notice to appear before an immigration judge. He was paroled from ICE custody. ERO officers in Hartford discovered that the unlawfully present individual was wanted since May 2022 by law enforcement in Jamaica. All right, good. So you go face your consequences next up golding is saying new internal polling system is to select winnable candidates to represent the pnp in the next general election story courtesy of nationwide radio pnp president mark golding says the new internal polling system being used in the candidate selection process is to ensure the party has the strongest team going into the next general election he was addressing journalists at a post national executive council nec news briefing at the montego bay community college in saint james on sunday and we do have a sound bite in order to ensure that we are selecting candidates that are winnable in the eyes of the voters in the constituency, we're polling them to make sure that there's a certain threshold of support that they enjoy in order to move forward to be selected by the delegates. So it's really a kind of preliminary sifting process 
to take out potential candidates who really can't move the needle and wouldn't be able to win the seat for us. So that whoever goes forward, whether it be one person or there may be more than one candidate who can pass that threshold, in which case the delegates will have, will, will, there will be a contested election. If it's only one candidate, they still have to get more than 50% support from the delegates to go forward in a, what we call a yes-no vote. So that's the main difference. The PNP president says the issues surrounding candidate selection in southeast St. Anne were the subject of discussion at Sunday's NEC meeting. According to Mr. Golding, because the element of polling is somewhat new, there were issues that needed to be resolved by the NEC. We first announced and got approval for the, the, the general approach in January. Then in the February or March NEC, March NEC, we had to do a, a, a slight modification that was required to take account of something that hadn't been thought of before. And that's going to probably continue because it's new. But the spirit in which it's being resolved is very positive. Mr. Golding says the candidate selection process is almost complete. We have prioritized the seats that we either seats that we had up to 2020 and then lost in the last election and seats where the sitting MP, PNP MP, is retiring and is not running back. So th those are the ones that we're doing in the first round, and those are nearly complete now. And then we'll be moving to those that we had won up to 2016, but lost in 2016. That will be the next round, and then we'll do the rest. Meanwhile, Mr. Golding says deliberations by the NEC have reaffirmed the vibrancy of the democratic process within the PNP. He is urging participants in the candidate selection process to put the party first. As I said in the last NEC, I have no force in any of the races. I just want the process to be fair. I want the participants in the process to behave with integrity to behave in a way that elevates the party's interests above their own so that the end of the process will result in the party being stronger and that we avoid any of the kind of issues or behaviors that might in any way upset the progress that we have been making as a party. Mr. Golding says it is important that members of the party continue to treat each other with respect and deal with any issues through internal processes and dialogue. And I say to the NEC, we're all adults here. Please, let us continue to put our party first and our personal ambitions subordinate to that. That was PNP President Mark Golding. Meanwhile, aspirant for the seat in Southeast St. Anne, Patricia Duncan Sutherland, is seemingly in support of the candidate selection process. We have defined a process, a process to select candidates, and as we are going through, we are having the discussions to make sure it works best for the party, for Jamaica, and to ensure that we are all victorious and the PNP will form the next government. Patricia Duncan Sutherland, aspirant for Southeast St. Anne and president of the PNP Women's Movement. So, are we selecting people, PNP, talking to you, are we selecting people that we see as winnable because they are liked in their constituencies 
and liked by fellow um, members of parliament, party representatives? Or are we selecting people who are winnable based on their track record, meaning their performance, their contributions? What have they done? Let me see your resume. How have you improved the communities which you serve? What does winnable mean? I guess that's the real question. Because we can say, okay, you know, Javet, I know everybody just loves her in Southeast St. Anne. But Javet may not be the right candidate, period. She is going off of likes. And likes will not get the job done. And when we look at her track record, we see where she has failed to follow through on promises to her constituency time and time again. But because she's very charismatic and has an outgoing personality and people feel they can talk to her because she's always listening, they are going to put her. They're going to vote for her. And then fellow um, members of parliament, fe fellow leaders in the PNP, comrades, that's what I call them, right? Comrades. <laughs> they are in favor of Javet because, yes, the public sees her as have, you know, being, having a lot of charisma and relatable. But they also see her as a puppet. Oh, she will do what we tell her to do and we'll continue to row the boat in the same direction. Am I making sense? So when we're talking about winnable candidates, let us be more emphatic with that. Let us, let, let us explain to the masses at large what exactly you're looking for when you talk about winnable candidates. I know you just said you're looking for folks who will put the priorities of the party and its people ahead of their own personal agenda. I get that, but I'm looking for more. I'm probably asking for too much. I don't know. I'm probably being unreasonable. I don't know. But I think if you intend to get into um, Gordon House, I think you're going to have to be a little more detailed with your POA. All right. Let us hear your strategies. Don't just come and give us promises like all politicians do. We need strategies. How are these strategies going to be implemented? Have you done case studies? Based upon the case studies that have been done, how successful were these strategies when they were implemented, depending on the landscape they were implemented in? And then you have to also look at the culture, the state of the economy. Do you have feet on the ground where you're actually listening, not just hearing the citizens, but actually listening to them? Are you willing to have them hold you accountable as well? Because we have to shift how politics is done. We've been doing it the same old, same old for way too long. I think we need it to be a little more interactive. I may be wrong. Probably, probably it is. But in my opinion, I don't think it is interactive enough. 
Right. Moments. I I agree with you, but I also feel that you need a little bit of both. And I don't know Caribbean politics, but I can just can we just use uh, two presidents ago? <laughs> You, you know, the one that was the, for me, he was charis- charismatic. Um, he did have a background in helping his community, right? But he didn't have it on a, a grandier scale. And a lot of people said he should not run for president because he doesn't have the experience. But sometimes you have to be in the job in order to acquire the experience or even prove that you can't the knowledge that you have will work in that position Mm -hmm. so i think you need a little bit of both a balance fair enough yeah fair enough i i can take that i can definitely take that yeah at the end of the day i tell you something javed politics is politics wherever you go just like banking is banking wherever you go (laughs) I think all politicians um, attend the same school because they pretty much are on the same train of thought. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Next up, police constables convicted in 2012 of manslaughter of a schoolgirl has been acquitted. Story courtesy of Nationwide Radio JM. The three police constables who were convicted of manslaughter in the shooting death of a schoolgirl, Vanessa Kirkland, in 2012, were acquitted today, well, yesterday, in the Court of Appeal. Constables Andrew Wayne, Andre, okay, I do not know how you pronounce this name, Adre Wayne, A-D-R-E-W-A-I, and I don't know why I'm spending time trying to figure the name out, but anyway. Um, Smith and Dervin Hales and Anna K. Bailey had their 2019 convictions quashed. The three-panel judge ruled that there was a misdirection in law by the trial judge who directed the jury to consider the offense of manslaughter rather than the initial charge of murder. We're going to have more in this report from Robian Williams. In handing down the decision, President of the Court of Appeal, Patrick Brooks, said the case was very unfortunate on all sides as it resulted in loss of life. Several grounds of appeal were raised, but only two of those were taken into consideration, on which the Crown conceded. Justice Brooks stated that the trial judge, Justice Carol Lawrence Beswick, was obliged to give a direction on both limbs of good character evidence, which are credibility and propensity. He ruled that Justice Lawrence Beswick's decision on the credibility of the appellants fell short of the required standard. That error, he said, was fatal to the convictions as the credibility of the appellants was a critical element of their defense. Justice Brooks stated that a second fatal error was that Justice Lawrence Beswick directed the jury to consider the offense of manslaughter. He added that although the failure is due to an error, there is no option of retrial as the appellants have already been acquitted of murder. In February 2019, Constable Smith, Hales, and Bailey were sentenced to 14 years and six months in prison. They were represented by King's Counsel Peter Champagny, Kemar Robinson, Richard Lynch, and Oswest Sr. Smith. 
Speaking with reporters after the matter, KC Champagny said the officers are grateful for the results. It goes without saying that they are absolutely elated, they are vindicated, and they echo the sentiments that I think was expressed consistently throughout from the start 11 years ago when this matter came before the court, that it was a most unfortunate incident, but they were doing their duty. They are relieved. It has been a journey. It has been an incredible journey and not a good one. Um, The apprehension, the uncertainty. And I think at the end of the process, as I said before, as we have said before, they are vindicated in their position. The Crown led evidence during the trial that on March 20, 2012, Constables Smith, Hales and Bailey were on an operation in Norman Lane, Kingston 13, when they approached and fired over 14 shots into a blue Suzuki Swift motor car. Kirkland and six other occupants were shot. The teenager subsequently died. The defense's posture was that the officers acted in self-defense after two men came from the vehicle firing at them. Asked if his clients will continue as members of the Jamaica Constabulary Force, Casey Champagny said that's a personal decision. We can't be so audacious to suggest what is it that they would wish to do, but they remain committed to fighting crime. They remain committed to law enforcement. But at the end of the day, it's a matter for them as to whether or not personally they believe that they can go on in, the, in, in their respective roles and position. But as I said before, they are outstanding officers in our view, and um, they are relieved. And at the same time, very, very, very concerned that the whole situation was so unfortunate. So that is not to be left out. Robian Williams for Nationwide News. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Okay, so somebody please correct me because I want to say I am wrong in my interpretation. What I am understanding is that they are in fact guilty, but there was an error. And because of the error, they have been vindicated. Am I here? Was I hearing right? I think that's what I heard. (laughs) It makes no sense. So they were let go based on a technicality then. Yeah, that sounds sounds like what I heard too. Okay. And I, I, I know sometimes I'm a little slow to wake up. My brain takes a little while to wake up. But I'm sure that's what I heard. So hold on. Hold on a second. I got to go back for a second. The three panel judge ruled that there was a misdirection in law by the trial judge who directed the jury to consider the offense of manslaughter rather than the initial charge of murder. So that seems to be a blatant error in my opinion. Shouldn't the trial judge have known better? Or it's okay for trial judges to do that? That sounds like a setup to me. But Thank you. That's what it sounds like to me for sure. Misdirection in law. So what is going to happen to the trial judge? Is there going to be any accountability? Any discipline? Because the trial judge directed the jury. So in other words, the trial judge, and please tell me if I'm wrong, folks. 
in other words, the trial judge swayed the jury. Am I right or am I wrong? By telling the jury to consider the offense of manslaughter rather than the initial charge of murder. I, I think it could go. I think it go either way. On one hand, yes, it sounds like they were swaying, but on the other hand, the trial the trial court judge could have gotten it wrong. And usually, I know here in the United States, that's where usually people will. If you disagree with the court's decision, you know, you can appeal to a higher to an appellate court, which will, you know, if they found that the trial court abused their their dis, uh, abused its discretion, you know, they'll direct the trial court to, you know, do something different or or overturn the decision. So, I mean, it. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it could go either way, but, you know, who knows? Hmm. <laughs> so, no justice for this young girl. That's, that's what it boils down to, in my opinion. The, long, the upshot of it, the long and short of it, is that this young girl that was murdered... Because they have been acquitted, because of the technicality, because of the error, she has no justice. But you know they have a saying, long run, short catch. And time is the master of everything. If me not catch upon this, me go catch upon something else. If I don't catch you with this, I might just catch you with something else. How many times have we seen that? Have we seen that play out? And then it leads to us questioning how thorough judges are or those who work within the, within the legal field, those who are put in positions to um, make decisions. How adept are these judges, I must ask? You know, good morning. One thing. Good morning, Alex. We, we as citizens of any country, we, we put faith in our government to so that them do the best things, and we, we trust the judges, hoping that they are smart enough to make um certain decisions. Not not smart enough, but like what's the word? Like a good person, a good some. Like I can't even think of the word right now, but someone like a good Samaritan, like someone of good moral compass and credibility. Say that again. Credibility. You want to think of them as being yeah, credible? Yeah, okay. yeah. And a lot of these judges, yo, them corrupt. Like, you, you give them a small money or a big money, them can sway things in other favors, in our next party's favor. And then, I just simple mistake. Like, just one simple mistake can cost a whole person's life. Meaning that they can get life in a prison just because of a simple mistake that a judge did. And if it solve things like this, they'll just go hard. Look how we go to use computers to make um judge people or judge cases like this. Yeah. AI. Because 
Yeah, but no. then we don't get too into the air and like kind of straight off topic. Right, I know there. what you mean. I and yeah. it, unfortunately, I I see where you're. I see where it could go. Now, here's the thing: I can understand them getting off because they're um the they're the defendants, the prosecution. I can see them getting off because the prosecu- the prosecution did not furnish substantial evidence. Right? That I can see through. Because if you do not present enough evidence, and it's so funny, I do this with my kids all the time when they come to me with certain things, I'm like, well, hold up, back up, present the facts to me. Right? If the prosecution failed i'm okay with you know we have to go by the court of law because we're going by the books but when a judge a trial judge makes these errors what does it say about you what does it say about your competence your ability to rule now we need to do a re-examination of the judges and if they're not fit i don't know what the process is in jamaica how you get rid of a judge i don't know but um what do you say to the family of this 12 year old go to the high court go to england appeal it honestly i don't know much about this case i've seen it on social media but i don't know much about it but like you're saying that some of the judge made a wrong decision so like they could appeal it and the highest court for jamaica is in england mm-hmm. hopefully soon that both will change <sighs> so you think they bring this case to, to england if that's the next step um i'm looking here because i th- think there is no option of a retrial okay so based on that based on them saying there is no option of a retrial as the appellants have been have already been acquitted of murder is it possible that they can take it to um the high court is is, does that possibility exist i was gonna ask that same question um moments did you just see the breaking news which one? About Harry Belafonte. What happened to him? He died? He passed away. Oh. Yeah. Wow. How old was he? 96. He lived a long life. Definitely. Thank you so much for... Um... Ooh, thank you for that one. It says, well-known Jamaican-American musician, actor, and activist was 96. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Thank you so much for that update, um, Javet. Yeah, but um, as it relates to this case, I don't know. Can we get a retrial in the UK? What What's the name of the court in the UK? <laughs> I forget, though. Privy Council. Privy Council. Thank you, Kevrock. Is it possible, based on the fact that they said there is no option for retrial as the appellants have already been acquitted of murder, even though this is a failure due to an error? I don't know. I don't think um, Peter Champagne is going to go for that. I don't think so. 
I don't think he'd be happy if that were an option or that option was available. So we don't know. We just have to wait and see. Only, I guess, someone in the legal spectrum would have to let us know how that works. You know? I feel for your family, young lady. I do feel for your family because no family member wants to get this. None. All right. Next up, pesticides suspected in reach falls fish kill. Story also courtesy of Nationwide Radio JM. Director of Environmental Management and Conservation at the National Environment and Planning Agency, Nepal, Anthony Mc- Anthony McKenzie says pesticides being used by persons catching crayfish may have caused the contamination of the driver's river. The Urban Development Corporation, UDC, has temporarily closed the Portland-based tourist attraction, Reach Falls, due to the contamination that has resulted in a fish kill. And I do have a soundbite for that one as well. The permits were issued on a on a phased basis. If you look at the permit, they had actions that had to be taken on a phased basis. Right? We recognize the need for the care and welfare of animals. We had the discussions with the proprietor and we approached this in a phased basis. I also indicated that we are looking at this facility as a potential sanctuary. So it is the approach that we wanted to to come into compliance. Mr. McKenzie says Nepo will be taking samples for testing. We have our rangers and we'll be working with the UDC in this instance to investigate, to take samples of both the fish and water quality samples to um, determine the chemical that's used. It's typically a pesticide. Mm-hmm. So um, that, will be, that will be done. The challenge that we've had in the past is to actually bring a conviction, identify the person and bring a conviction because I indicated the establishment of a warning system will um, help to correct that deficiency in the in the process. Anthony, Mc- Anthony McKenzie, Director of Environmental Management and Conservation at NEPA, speaking on Nationwide yesterday. He also went on to say that persons found contaminating the river could be prosecuted under the Wildlife Protection Act. They could face up to two years of imprisonment. All right, uh, and um, back to the breaking story that Javet just um, made us aware of. Harry Belafonte, singer, actor, and tireless activist, dies at the age of 96. Charge-topping Calypso singer who supported U.S. civil rights movement and African initiatives dies following a congestive heart failure. Okay, so you're telling me I got to pay? I am not paying to read the rest of that story. Sorry, let me try another website. Let me, you know, I'm kind of weaning myself off of CNN. I, I, I have taken it to heart, <laughs> the whole um, Don Lemon thing. I was a little upset with um, the Como incident, but now I'm really taking it to heart. So um, anyway, here I go to CNN. So Harry B- Belafonte, the dashing singer, actor and activist who became an indispensable supporter of the civil rights movement has died. That's according to his publicist, Ken Sunshine, when speaking with CNN. Belafonte died Tuesday morning of congestive heart failure. Belafonte was dubbed the King of Calypso after the groundbreaking success of his 1956 hit, 
the banana boat song Dale. who remembers that song let me let me pull that up i'm gonna pull that up so for those of you who are not familiar with it you may hear it go right ahead i was just watching beetlejuice last night and they have that song in there so i was singing it i was trying to uh get my daughter you know to listen to the song because i'm like this is a classic it is so, yeah and i have it for us and again i do apologize for the static it is a clubhouse issue work all night and a drink a rum also became a movie star after acting in the film adaptation of the Broadway musical Carmen Jones. But Belafonte's biggest contributions took place off stage. He was a key strategist, fundraiser, and mediator for the civil rights movement. He continually risked his entertainment career, and at least once in his life, for his activism. He became a close friend of the Reverend Martin. Luther King Jr., who often retired to Belafonte's palatial New York apartment to talk strategy or escape the pressures of leading the civil rights movement. A voracious reader with a burning disdain for justice, Belafonte's political consciousness was shaped by the experience of growing up as an impoverished son of a poor Jamaican mother who worked as a domestic servant. I've often responded to queries that ask, when as an artist did you be decide to become an activist? He once said, my response to the question is that I was an activist long before I became an artist. They both service each other, but the acti activism is first. The scope of Belafonte's activism was astonishing. He saw the civil rights movement as a global struggle. He led a campaign against apartheid in South Africa and befriended Nelson Mandela. He mobilized support for the fight against HIV-AIDS and became a UNICEF Goodwill ambassador. He also came up with the idea for recording the 1985 hit song, We Are the World, which assembled a constellation of pop and rock stars, including Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson, and Bruce Springsteen all to raise money for famine relief in 
Africa. Belafonte didn't mellow as his wealth and fame grew. He drew criticism after calling President George W. Bush the greatest terrorist in the world for leading an invasion of Iraq and assailed black celebrities such as Jay-Z and Beyonce for not taking bolder stands on social justice. He criticized Barack he criticized rather Barack Obama so much during the then senator's first presidential run in 2008 that Obama asked him, "When are you going to cut me some slack?" What makes you think that's not what I've been doing? Belafonte responded. Harold George Belafonte was born March 1, 1927 in New York City to poor Caribbean immigrants. His father worked as a cook on merchant ships and abandoned the family when Belafonte was young. Belafonte also spent some of his boyhood in Jamaica the former British colony and his mother's native country, where he witnessed white English authorities mistreating black Jamaicans. He returned to New York City's Harlem neighborhood by 1940 to live with his mother, Melvin, who struggled to hold her family together amid grinding poverty. She was the one who taught him, you shouldn't let the sun go down without fighting against injustice. Belafonte had a tumultuous childhood and often had to fend for himself. He said, The most difficult time in my life was when I was a child. My mother gave me affection, but because I was left on my own, there was also a lot of anguish. Belafonte dropped out of high school and enlisted in the U.S. Navy in 1944. He was relegated to manual labor on the ship and did not see combat but the experience proved to be profound. He met college-educated black men who gave him a wider exposure to the world, talking to him about big issues such as segregation and colonialism. The experience of fighting against fascism abroad while coming back to segregation at home angered Belafonte, much like many black veterans from World War II. He drifted into the entertainment field almost by accident. Belafonte was working as a janitor in New York when he attended a play at the American Negro Theater. He was so swept up by the performance that he decided to become an actor. He eventually studied acting at a workshop attended by classmates such as Marlon Brando, Tony Curtis, and Bea Arthur. He also fell into singing in nightclubs, once in a band that included jazz greats Charlie Parker and Max Roach, and landed a recording contract in 1949. Balafonte had natural charisma. On stage and behind the microphone, he won a Tony Award for his acting on Broadway and was the first African-American to win an Emmy Award for his 1959 variety show. May his soul rest in peace. Yeah, he lived a long life, though, and I want to say he must have lived a fulfilled life. His life was not in vain. He sought for justice or he sought to seek justice for the disenfranchised. Yeah. How many children does he have? I don't know. I know about Shari Belafonte. Whatever happened to her? Okay, so there's Shari Belafonte, David Belafonte, Adrienne. Meyer and Gina. Okay. Hmm. Good morning. Good morning, Sanat. 
Shari was on Clubhouse last week. Funny enough, <laughs> um, she was talking about a documentary that um, that was done about her father's life, and she's a part of it. So she was just on on the uh, the House Power of Influence. Mm-hmm. I was listening to her talk about the documentary. So she was just on last week. Wow! Wow! Ah, well. Hope she'll come back and speak some more about, you know, I'm sure not now, but later on, she will. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, oops, okay, everything is frozen on me. <laughs> oh boy, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we have more stories for you out of Latin America and on the international scene. Tell me about- Bobby Valentino, you know how we do, it's another one. I saw you walking down on Melrose, you looked like an angel, straight out of heaven, girl. I was blown away by your sexiness, now all I have to do is catch up to you. Slow down, I just want to get to know you. Thank you to everyone logged on to the Quality Music Zone, QMZRadio.com. For quality music while you work or play, keep it logged on to www.QMZRadio.com for that good music to get you through your day. Always thinking of
in to the Rosolo Show for the live interview tonight. 7 p.m. Eastern, it goes down on johnnoradio.com, qmzradio.com, viscosityblend.com, wkriscoffeeradio.com. It is a live interview with international reggae dancehall artist, the original Shinehead. Yes, sir. It's been a, a long time coming, long overdue. We're going to also be streaming it live on Clubhouse through the Rosolo Show House. Uh, just tap on Rosolo's PTR and follow along. everyone logged on to johnoradio.com the non-stop party vibe station download the johnno radio app j-a-h-k-n-o it is available in your apple and google play stores johnno radio take us on the go just a friend telling me i'm just a friend Thank you to everyone rocking it out right here with me on Clubhouse, even though Clubhouse ain't trying to be nice. But I want to say thank you for lending your voice, your perspectives, and everything. We won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. Jesus, the notorious just. Please us with your lyrical thesis. It is Turned Up Tuesday on Coffee and Toe. Taking you back a little bit. More of yesterday's hits and favorites. Share the special thing. 
get back to business gonna talk about the real life queen of the south situation Trying to make it on the spit Where you been, girl? You and your friend Need to come to yeah. the back We got it locked down yeah. Your white t-shirt Or a three-piece suit Don't matter what you wear All that matters is who you with Some jiggy Some straight grind yeah. All up in the clubs To have a good time oh. Hey, uh, the party uh, uh, Girls is on the way But up a cardiac Bottles and models Talking all in that The party is right here every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. This is where I read the news and we share our views, coffee and tow, world news on the go. And it is time for us to go ahead and get back to business stories out of the Latin American corner. Queen of the South situation. <laughs> Is it life imitating art or art imitating life? Well, Mexico discovers 11,520 tequila bottles with liquid meth at the port. Wow, story courtesy of Al Jazeera. Mexican ins uh, inspectors have intercepted 11,520 tequila bottles due for export that actually contained nearly 10 tons of concentrated liquid meth. The discovery was made at the Pacific Coast seaport of Manzanillo. The Navy said on Monday the bottles contained about 8,640 kilograms or 19,000 pounds of meth. Photos of the seizure show a sniffer dog alerting inspectors to cardboard boxes of glass bottles full of brownish liquid consistent with the color of añejo or aged tequila. The labels on the bottles were not visible. Mexico is the world's only 
producer of authentic tequila. While there have not been any reported instances of such bottles reaching consumers, ingesting the mixture would be incredibly dangerous. Mexico has become a major producer of meth and drug smugglers frequently are stopped at the border with liquid meth in their windshield washer fluid or other containers in their cars. The liquid meth is usually recovered by the smugglers and taken to facilities where the water is extracted and then returned to its usually crystal form. Okay, so nice try. They tried. But, of course, we know a lot went through. For I think what there was a report some years ago that for every shipment that is intercepted, for every seizure that is done, like five to ten more go through. And then I also heard a report a couple years ago, some years ago, that some are actually allowed to go in. Hmm, interesting. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Very interesting. Good morning to everyone just joining us on QMZRadio.com and JanoRadio.com as well as right here on Clubhouse. Thank you for coming through. Yeah, so I know somebody's unhappy. That's a, what's the net? What's the dollar figure behind that? They didn't give us a dollar figure. But based on what they're saying, the labels were not visible. They need to go back and watch Queen of the South and, you know, see how it was done properly and try again. I'm not promoting anything, folks. Don't get me wrong. Please. It was it was probably done as a diversion. You never know. That part, too, Javet. Yeah, that part, too. Yeah. They say it's drugs money that runs the world when, you you know, it has built up many cities. A lot of shopping centers. That's what they say. You know, so with that being said, they have to allow some into the countries. I don't know how true that is, but a lot of drugs being intercepted. Remember, the, was it last week we spoke about the how many tons of cocaine off the coast of Italy that wasn't picked up? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Somebody ain't happy. All right, next up, Tucker Carlson. Of course, he was all the talk yesterday, I am sure. I'm not sure if there were any rooms about it. But NPR.org is reporting Tucker Carlson ousted at Fox News following the network's $787 million settlement. Support for NPR and the following message come from Jarl and Pamela Moan, thanking the people who make public radio great every day and also those who listen. Not one, but two of the top stars in cable news are out. Here's what Fox News announced about its best-known host earlier today. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. Then, not even an hour later, CNN said it was parting ways with morning anchor Don Lemon. NPR media correspondent David Volkenflik is sprinting to keep us up to date on all of this, and he joins us now. Hey, David. Hey, Elsa. Okay, let's start with Fox News. I mean, it's the most watched cable network. We're arguably talking about its biggest star here. What are they saying about Carlson's departure exactly? Not much beyond what you heard Harris Faulkner say there just moments ago in your introduction. Uh, They, you know, thank him for his time there. They're saying that uh, his last show was Friday, that uh, there'll be a rotating uh, series of Fox personalities filling in at 8 p.m. To give you an idea 
of how big a surprise this was. Mm-hmm. He said, I'll see you Monday uh, to his viewers at the end of his sign-off last week. And then wow. today, moments before Faulkner made that announcement to Fox's viewers, they were promoting his show tonight. <laughs> so then why is this happening? Do we know? And do we know why right now? Well, look, I think it's fair to note that this happens basically six days after this epic three-quarters of a billion dollar settlement with a, a election tech company called Dominion Voting Systems mm-hmm. uh, for defamation. But Carlson, while he featured in that lawsuit, wasn't by any means the worst offender there. In fact, uh, he had real contempt for uh, former President Trump, who was peddling a lot of these lies of election fraud back in 2020. Documents show he's withering contempt for his colleagues, for Trump. Uh, There is another lawsuit that may be more relevant. It's filed by his former chief booker that is a producer who brings guests on the show. Her name's Abby Grossberg. She alleged that his workplace for his show was rife with sexism, rife with misogyny, that she was paid less because she was a female. An executive acknowledged that, uh, that Nancy Pelosi was depicted in a sexist way. And she said that he used a vulgar epithet, like the most, I think, vile epithet you can use for a woman in describing one of Trump's key allies, Sidney Powell. And let me say, although it was a shocking term, I wasn't totally surprised by that. I had heard him use this term getting off a van at the Republican National Convention in 2016. I said to to Carlson, Tucker, what are you doing? And he said, what? She is. It was about someone else. I was it was pretty appalled in the moment. So what's Abby Grossberg's response to Carlson's firing? Uh, Her lawyer says uh, that this is a vindication of everything that she has alleged uh, and that this is an important move towards justice and that she is uh, she is right to have made these allegations against Carlson as well as against Fox News, which she said pressured her, her its legal team had pressured her not to acknowledge uh, the environment in which she felt she was working at Fox. <laughs> I, I would say I reached out to Carlson for comment as well, as well as some of our colleagues, and that we have not heard back from him. He has okay. not made any public comment. Okay, let's turn real quick to CNN and Don Lemon. He is a longtime, well-known name at the network. He used to have his own primetime show. And today, Lemon, he tweeted that he was stunned by the news that he no longer had a job there. What led to CNN's decision? Do we know? Well, we don't know precisely what the predicate was, but we sure have a whole lot of breadcrumbs that led to this moment. Uh, You had a number of instances in which it was seen that Lemon behaved uh, in a demeaning and belittling way towards women. He then made a comment uh, towards uh, Nikki Haley, the Republican presidential candidate, saying she was past her prime. He was asked to undergo sensitivity training. He's been such a star. He saw himself as the star of the morning show in the morning. And ultimately, CNN is asserting himself itself over what had been one of its most important figures. That is NPR's David Folkenflik. Thank you so much, David. You bet. And there we have it, as it relates to Tucker Carlson. Um, When we talk about Don Lemon, I will say, when I think about the whole thing, I think it was a strategy on his part. It was deliberate on his part. um, Just as Kanye had to go on a rant and go against the grain so that he could be relieved from his contracts, because had he done it the quote-unquote right way, he would be facing a lot of penalties. So I think um, Don Lemon went about it the same way. He self-sacrificed. Um, he, and I think, uh, and I have to agree, I think James said it yesterday, when Como 
was fired. And who, let me ask a question. Bef let me put a pushpin at Como. Which of us in here, if we had information pertaining one of our relatives, our brother, our sister, whoever, we're close to mother, father, child, you're going to tell me you're going to stay silent? Aren't you going to give your relative the heads up? Let's be real. 100%. So what did he do wrong? He's standing by his brother. You expect him to say, okay, no, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'm going to treat my brother like, it, like I would somebody else. No, hell no. I sure as hell wasn't going to do that. In my opinion, I don't think Como did anything wrong when it comes to his brother. And um, so I think when this whole thing went down with Como, Lemon took it personally. So instead of leaving, because then, you know, we don't know what the repercussions are, the, the contractual repercussions are. He said, you know what, let them get rid of me. So he, he went about, he did what he had to do. He dragged it out. He, um, yeah, he just played the game. So now they can't come at him and say, you know, oh, you owe us this, this and that. No, pr probably now they owe him. They're going to have to cut a check to him because they're the one letting him go. You know, Chief says, um, <laughs> wait, hold on. Javed says Nikki Haley has serious backing in her party. She is the Kardashian of that party. And Chief says, I was outraged when they got rid of Tiffany Cross. Yes, that's MSNBC. That was Tiffany Cross for similar reasons. So, so, so Rosolo, technically then when you're in mainstream media, right you are controlled there are certain things you're you can't yeah, you're say. allowed to say so much until it touches someone's nerve or you get too close to the truth um or you're saying to you know you're being too bold of a uh, brown person let me not say what i was gonna <laughs> say um and for me i knew that it, that don Lennon was going to end once they put him in the, on the morning show because his narrative is not for the morning people don't want to hear Don Lemon in the morning. He's very direct. Mm -hmm. You can't take his type of comments, his cart. You can't take it in the morning. People can hardly take it in the evening. So I knew there was something wrong with that, you know, once they did that. But then they let go Tiffany Cross at MSNBC for saying something. He got suspended. Then he had to go through training. So it's this whole, yeah, now it's this thing where now what are we supposed to do? Be very, very careful what we say. Not tell the truth or share our opinion. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it's coming to. He can't. I mean, he did say some disrespectful. There, I'm, I'm not negating that he was disrespectful. But it's Don. He does it all the time. He does it on New Year's Eve. He says disrespectful stuff. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn with this one. But, but let me ask one. you a question, Rosola. The disrespect. Do you think he was just out of the blue disrespectful? Because a lot of times we are reacting. I think he was Don Lemon making a comment that was inappropriate. Okay. You know. He, he he has to under. I mean, like I said, when once he was got once he started the morning show, I didn't think it was going to go well because I I know him. I watch the narrative. I hear him. I've been watching the man for years. He's very blunt, to say the least. But is being blunt being disrespectful, or is it that we are so um, we have when been socialized? 
when you offend Becky. When you offend Becky. When you offend Becky, it is. Yes, okay. it is. Right. Yes, it is. Or Karen. It, it, or Karen. Or Timmy. Or Timmy. Or Timmy. Or, or Timmy. Because they or did Tommy. the same thing with Simone Sanders. Yes, or little Bobby. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Because quite yeah. frankly, I would rather you be direct with me than sugarcoat something. And I think we have been so socialized to make things look pretty. And when we do that, when the packaging is all shiny with the big bow on top, we are not getting the true essence of the message that is being delivered. We walk away with a false narrative. It, it's the way you disagree about the conversation that bothers them. Mm -hmm. If you can do it in a way that you're massaging the argument with them, they're okay with it. But when you come straight at them, direct, that's a no-no. <laughs> I well, see that in know, corporate America. Mm -hmm. Right. But has he said... It's he also say hold on, Chief. On hold on so. one second, Chief. I'm sorry, Rosola. I got cut out. You're fine. Go I'm ahead. I'm sorry. Ahead. I cut the vet, too. I'm so sorry. I just want to ask, did he say anything different on his morning show than he would have on his evening show? Did he change his narrative who he has been all these years that made people watch CNN and watch his show and made him popular on CNN? Did, did anything change about his narrative? No. His subject changed. His subject and his audience may have changed, but his narrative didn't change. Can I tap in really quickly? Uh, hold on one second, beloved. I know Chief was waiting to say something, and then you're next, beloved. Go right ahead, Chief. Yeah, uh, Rosolo is absolutely correct, and and we also have to understand they they're gonna they don't have a problem with hardcore, hard hitting delivery. That's why people like Tiffany Cross, like Don Lemon, brought serious ratings to the industry. And like was said earlier, it's about who you happen to offend at a particular moment, right? Is is that that becomes a game changer, right? Because you don't know who's invested in what, who is paying the bill, and you you tap into the wrong person's psyche. Your, your career can end, Don Lemon just addressed the wrong topic. And so that's that's really what it boils down to, because they're going to use you for those ratings. They like that. Sensationalism, and even when it's the absolute truth, you know, but you offend the wrong person, there you go. Yeah. Thank you, Chief. Go right ahead, beloved. Thank you. Hola, good morning. So I was reading up that um, his ratings have been going down since November and um, but he's losing black viewership as well as white viewership yeah. like um, the white women I, I think I think there's a certain and, and um, this is just my impressions from Twitter um, but people you know like he's I think he's 57 years old and he's just kind of emerging in his racial politics. Like he was very conservative or more conservative um, like a few years ago and, and around the George Floyd um, uprising or in the wake of the uprising of the violence per, um, perpetuated against George, George Floyd, he started kind of emerging in his awareness and consciousness and probably 
boldness in the way that he he spoke it that he speaks. Um, but he's not all the way there. And I think a lot of people on Twitter, just my impressions, really felt like he should be further along. And I think we're holding him accountable for his awareness, um, his racial awareness and his ability to kind of um, speak from, um, from, a, from a level of consciousness in a way that he hasn't been able to. To me, it was like really apparent just last week when he had, um, I forgot the... Um, the Indian Republican um, who was running for, what's his name? Vivek. Yes, Vivek. Yes. Like his inability to kind of um, synthesize the inaccuracies, inaccuracies in the guy's history kind of to me said that this guy is early in his awareness and wasn't able to like eloquently or in a professional style because he was like in his emotions, which to me was like reeking of somebody who's early in, in, in their consciousness. And so I felt like he wasn't decisive in the way that he did it, even though he tried. And I thought that he he upheld his professional responsibility to dumb to 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 stop um, historical misrepresentations. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? When this guy was talking about the NRA and he was trying to misrepresent American history. I'll be honest, beloved. No, because since they switched him to daytime, I have not watched him. Uh, so I can, I, I can't speak on it, but someone else may be able to go ahead. Senate, I Senate on, um, Mike, go right ahead. I heard about it secondhand, beloved, that, um, Vivek, um, Ram Swami, I'm trying to, name again so I can actually pronounce it. Um Ramaswamy Swami Ramaswamy as R A M A S W A M Y. He said some pretty cool stuff about uh a Second Amendment and gun rights and black people. So right. I have to go back and find the interview, but I did hear about that secondhand. He's that, running um, for president mm-hmm. and you know CNN is trying to be more in the middle, they say, right? Which is why they lost a lot of progressive viewership, right? So they're trying to go left. I mean right and they have this man on. So everybody who's running for president for the GOP is they have interviewed this person, interviewed them. And Vivek was at the NRA conference and he spoke. And when, when he, he said that people of color got their freedoms after the Second Amendment because of the Second Amendment. And he basically tried to say that black people got their freedoms because the Second Amendment exists, which we know is inaccurate. And it's like a gross misrepresentation of what that means, right? Besides the fact that, um, all you know, all of the facts that would obviously, you know, um, undermine that. And so he was so rattled during that interview. I watched it that interview that um, he was getting dragged for filth on Twitter um, by the conservatives. And then the progressives were not on his side either because he didn't represent, like they were glad that he was speaking up, but it was clear that he wasn't really able to like toe the the accuracy line, right? Like he just didn't have that command of the knowledge that he needed in order to kind of really um, pinpoint it. He should have thrown to commercial, but he, he, he waited in as a, as a newbie and, and it, I felt really bad for him. Do you think he was censored beloved? I didn't watch it, but do you think he may have been censored? Well, I know that in during the present, during when he was talking, like the producers were in his ear 
and they were like, he was like, I can't think when you're in my ear. Like, you know what I mean? So like he was, he was like in his feelings. So I don't think he was necessarily censored because they went on for a long time. I think the challenge in that particular moment, like, un, like this specific moment that I'm talking about was that he was could not uphold like the level of um like he was rattled right professionalism like, well see here's the thing right like i really feel like we need to expand what we think about when we think about professionalism and i think that somebody who's further along in their consciousness wouldn't get as rattled Right. So like I think he and I think about this as like I think of college students that I've educated. Right. Once they they have knowledge, but they can't get the words out. And so like I felt that he was not as eloquent in that moment as he might have been had he been able to like take a beat. Like I think he should probably have said, you know, let's go to a quick commercial right now so that he could take a breath. But he was like on it. Um, but I think that moment and like the other moments, like I think this is, I'll, I'll say on a hundred, he's not going to be given the opportunity to be mediocre like a, any any white man on that stage. A hundred percent. He's not going to be given the grace. He's not going to be given the opportunity to be regular. And I think that was the problem, right? Like for CNN. And I, I think that is, I think all the things about the Karens and the Beckys, a hundred percent, but his rating started going down from November. And I think that um, this was probably the the last um, thing, right? Because the conservatives were coming for him really hard because of what he did. I don't but know. This was also after he was censored regarding um, the comment he made for the <laughs> Well, you know, at the you know, in the wake of that, there was an expose about the culture of sexism. I like how, like he, like the things that he would say to women misogynistic things that he would say on text messages, the way that he would talk to women on the staff. Okay. Right. So like, I think there was definitely like a belief about that moment being an expression of what he really thinks about women. Um, well, but he, I don't know. He, know. Is, he has also changed his um, orientation as well. Or who he is um, having relations with as oh, well. Oh, he came out, right? Yes. Yeah, he came. Yeah, Wait. so that's he's not going to be given grace. He's gay. He's black. And he, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to be given grace. Nope. So I'm sorry. Back up. He just came out. He hadn't been out all this time. I'm sorry. I thought he was out all this time too, Sonette. I'm with you on that. Um, he was married to a woman. Oh, really? Now he's not. Yeah. I always thought he was gay. I mean, that never bothered me. What you thought and what he said are two different things. I think it's like in the last 10 years. Yeah, he just came out. Okay. We knew he was gay, but he knew he was gay, but uh, I mean, because he was he showing pictures. He, he didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, because I would always say to Marlon from years back, I'd be like, I could straighten him out. Google saying in 2011 he came out in a memoir. In his memoir. Okay, so it's been a long time. Yeah, for a long time. Then okay, I thought that recently happened, like within the last two years. I'm sorry, I didn't make mm -hmm. it a real conversation. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think okay. of it. Okay, you know, so yeah. But 
So remember, I said this months back last year. I know I would not be a fit for mainstream media. They would fire me in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Because you are controlled. You, you, you're censored. And yes, they are in your ear. You're wearing that little thing and they're telling you what to say. And they're telling you when to cut and when to smile and when to this and when to that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Enough hypocrisies in the world. Now, I understand the part about the disrespect. Nobody wants to be disrespected. But at the same time, I don't think people are just going to be blatantly disrespectful out of the blue, especially, and I'm going out on a limb for you here, Don, especially um, you, I think you get tired of being controlled and you, you, you react, you, you become very reactive. Is that good? No, it is not. But you know what? I think he's going to do extremely well. Um, I have to agree with, I think James said it yesterday, um, that he's, he's going to come on, so, come on to something else and he's going to be bigger and he's going to be better. He's going to be on a platform where he will be allowed to be himself, to express himself. And uh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. What I don't understand, though, because when I saw the Instagram post that he put up, was it Instagram post or Twitter post, whatever post it was, um, saying the manner in which he was um, let go. No one had the decency to face him. And I think that's in. Um, let me read it. So it's it's on his Twitter um, handle. I was informed this morning by my agent that I have been terminated by CNN. I'm stunned. After 17 years at CNN, I would have thought that someone in management would have had the decency to tell me directly. At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to um, continue to do the work I have loved at the network. It is clear that there are some larger issues at play. With that said, I want to thank my colleagues and the many teams I have worked with for an incredible run. They are the most talented journalists in the business, and I wish them all the best. It goes back to what we were speaking on yesterday about how you're treated uh, in business. Mm-hmm. And, and making sure that you take care of yourself because at the end of the day, they're going to do what's best for them. It doesn't matter how much time you've given your company. Facts. Yeah. We, we, we had that conversation at length yesterday. The loyalty train has, say, uh, what do you call it, has left the station. I'm as loyal to you as you are to me. Go right ahead. I, I think someone opened their mic. Go right ahead. Who? Yeah, that was me. Morning. James Morning. Yeah, so I think, well, I think he, he should have seen it coming, you know, from the demotion to, to daytime and from the Jesse Smollett thing coming. There's a lot of stuff that, that was coming down the pipeline. And I think with um, there's some new management or, or, or something, like he was more comfortable with with the old management i think he probably got away with a lot of stuff with the old management so you should have seen it coming through the pipeline because who that, says that he didn't though james 
No, I, I think he did. I think he did. Trust me. I think he did. Because the demotion, the, 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 the um, pass your prime type of thing um, comment, and that last interview with that politician, I feel like it was a setup because you can see that he wasn't prepared. I've never seen him doing an interview and, and, and seem so unprepared. Like, he was pretty much like just... You, you think that he's a rookie journalist, the way that interview. The guy was schooling him with, with like, stuff that... He should have been knowledgeable about the pushback, but it seemed like he wasn't. So, I don't know. That seemed like a, some type of setup or something, but he should have seen it coming, though. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. Um... Yeah, so that's, that's what I wanted to, to, to say back to you, Moments. Like, I, he probably will do well, but he needs to take a break and he needs to get a little bit more training, like Beloved was bringing up, about, you know, sadly... Black American history, um, American civics, stuff like that. Because he, he's a pretty face, and he, he was charming, mm -hmm. and he did all that. But if something like that happens again and he fumbles like that, that's the end of his career. So mm -hmm. he needs to step back, take a break, learn a little bit more, and be more confident in his delivery. Because when Don Lemon first started on CNN, lots of people did not like him. He was Mr. Respectability Politics, telling people to pull their pants up doing stuff like that, this is not the time. And that that time is gone. He needs to put his foot in the fire with everybody else. So he can't <sighs> just sit from the corner and say sweet things. Because Bill Cosby had that time, and you saw what happened to him yep. with, with him talking nonsense like that. Don Lemon is younger than Bill Cosby, and he should not be speaking like that. But he's, yeah, he know, 50 is not that old. He needs to um, still he needs to learn a bit more before he comes back. But Beloved also has a good point. He could take the Lachey's job because they're terrible and do something on reality TV. I'm done. <laughs> but Sine, hold on. Javed is asking, after 17 years, do you really think he needs more training? No, yes. Not as a journalist. I think he, he's fine as a journalist. But he needs to have more comfort in his... In his um, Discussion delivery of things that I'm sorry. Delivery. No, not even his delivery. Fine. So delivery with having the knowledge base. I think the part the reason he stumbled so much with Vivek, and I'm not gonna say his last one because I'm sorry I butchered it last time. That's okay. The, the the reason he stumbled so much was that he didn't have the confidence to talk about the Second Amendment and how um it affected people of color in America, especially with black people. Not even just people of color, black people in America. And if he had a better um, grasp of that information, then he could he could share it more clearly, and he would have been able to control himself. Instead, he got he's been listening to people in his ear for the last seventeen years on CNN and before that on other broadcasts because that was not his first show. That that shouldn't have rambled him as much as it did. And then this is just overhearing secondhand without not hearing it myself, but I will have to watch the interview. Mm -hmm. I'm done for now. Okay. Yeah, and I was just going to say that. I'm going to have to go back and watch the interview because after 17 years, I think anybody would have been able to argue Vivek against the Second Amendment and supposedly what our freedom or supposedly giving us that freedom. Right. Any other comments before we move on? All right. Thank you, everyone, for this hearty conversation surrounding 
Don Lemon. Okay. Oh, there is this one in um, South Africa begins evacuation of citizens trapped in Sudan. Ramaphosa earlier said South Africa would assist other nationals from the region stranded in Sudan, courtesy of Al Jazeera.com. I think this has been going on, what now, 11 days. I really hope that there can be some calm in Sudan pretty quickly. All right, so that's just in. Next up, ALA, number of unique book titles challenged, jumped nearly 40% in 2022. We have the story courtesy of NPR.org. And I do apologize. The internet is lagging a little this morning. Okay, so I might have to read this one. I was hoping to save my breath. But the number of reported challenges to books doubled in 2022, and the number of challenges to unique titles was up nearly 40% over 2021. According to data released by the American Library Association's Office of Intellectual Freedom, and this was released on Monday, each year the ALA releases data on books it says have been most often challenged for removal from public and school library shelves. Though the group says it is not possible to track every challenge and that many go unreported, the data came through a variety of sources, including news stories and voluntary reports sent to the Office of Intellectual Freedom. This year's report includes an expanded list of the 13 books most challenged in 2022 as there were the same number of banning efforts against several of the books. Overall, the ALA says that 2,571 unique titles were banned or challenged. Lessa Kanani, president of the American Library Association, says it used to be that titles were challenged when a parent or other community members saw a book in the library that they did not like. But times have changed. Now we're seeing organized attempts by groups to censor multiple titles throughout the country without actually having read many of these books. Um, once again, this year, Gender Queer by Mai Kobabi, I hope I pronounced her name correctly, which was published in 2019, tops the ALA's list. The graphic memoir follows Mai's path to gender, to gender identity as non-binary and queer. Most of the books on the list have been challenged with claims of including LGBTQIA plus or sexually explicit content. There are a handful of titles on the list this year that are new from 2021, including Flamer by Mike Curato, Looking for Alaska by John Green, The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, a Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Maas and Crank by Ellen Hopkins. Eight of the titles have remained on the list for multiple years. Now, my question, now, I, I have no problem if you're thinking a book is inappropriate for a certain age group. Okay, fine. But you're pulling books just based on the title of the book and not having someone read the book? Have we ever picked up a book? Let's think back to those of us who used to read and those who are still readers, avid readers. Have you ever picked up the title of the a book or picked up a book, read the title, and then 
when you read the content, you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. It somehow doesn't match. Am I the only one? No, ma'am, you're not. I still read. Okay. So I think it is fair that if you're going to pull a book from a school library or a public library, read the book. Because what if the book that you're pulling has valuable information, information that is educational? What if that's what we're doing? But because I don't like a title, oh, ban it. So we're just going to ban books based off of titles, which I think is unfair. Go right ahead. Uh... And, and for me, I don't think it's just the title. I think it's persuasion of the person writing the book. That just too. Honestly. Yep. Yep, that too. That has something to do with it. Okay. So <laughs> on to the next one. Justice Thomas gives a scandal highlights double standard for ethics and government. The story is courtesy of um, NPR. Let's see if this thing will work because I don't know what's up with it. And I think the internet is between the internet and Clubhouse not liking me today because I have a lot of static. Everything is. Um, OK, here we go. Let's see if this one will play. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Director of Sustainability Mandy McKay knows that when it comes to helping an industry implement more sustainable practices, it takes a village. Tap the play button to hear how Sierra Nevada helped build a community brewery recycling co-op in western North Carolina. But we start today with what ethics experts are calling a double standard for Supreme Court justices. The highest court in the country does not have a code of ethics. And with recent news that Justice Clarence Thomas failed to disclose multiple gifts and transactions, that lack of guiding principles is raising scrutiny. That's because federal workers do face a lot of rules and regulations on and off the job. Here to help us understand this is NPR senior political editor and correspondent Domenico Montanaro. Hey, Domenico. Hey, Scott. So let's start with the basics. What are the ethics rules that federal workers have to follow, and how is that different from Supreme Court justices? Well, there's a lot of them, and they're slightly different across uh, different agencies. You know, the Office of Government Ethics oversees ethical standards for all of the executive branch's employees, and we're talking about everyone from census workers up to the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. They have 14 guiding general principles that they put forth, and first is employees being expected to, quote, place loyalty to the Constitution, the laws and ethical principles principles above private gain. The Supreme Court, though, as you said, has no such guiding principles. There's no ethics code. But the nine justices are required uh, by the same ethics law to submit public financial disclosures. That includes gifts over a few hundred dollars. If they don't, they can face criminal charges or stiff hmm. civil penalties. And that's where watchdogs come in and who are raising you know, major questions about Justice Clarence Thomas. Okay, so let's recap here. Thomas did not disclose gifts of luxury vacations, overnight stays, trips on a private jet, all of these certainly worth more than a few hundred dollars. (laughs) These all came from a conservative billionaire over the course of many, many years. So is there any talk of these criminal or civil penalties? 
It's complicated. Two nonpartisan watchdog groups who I talked to this week, the Project on Government Oversight and the Campaign Legal Center, both believe there's enough evidence to do so. They've written actually long letters urging the Department of Justice to pursue action. They say that even if Thomas was found guilty civilly and wasn't pursued criminally, he could face penalties that reach close to a million dollars. That's because there's a more than $70,000 penalty for each omission if left out purposefully. And each vacation, there could be multiple violations. Over years, that adds up pretty fast. But they're not confident Thomas is going to face any consequences, and that's because of what they see as a double standard. One for the high-profile and well-connected, another for everyone else. Here's Walter Schaub, who used to run the Office of Government Oversight and is now a senior fellow at the Project on Government Oversight. The Department of Justice has shown a real unwillingness to hold the top officials in government to the same standard it holds lower-level officials to. And if you think about it, that's government ethics standing on its head because the higher up you go and the more power you have to do harm, the more you should be held accountable because the stakes are so much greater. And that's the point that, you know, Schaub really is stressing here, who was head of Office of Government Ethics. You know, for his part, Thomas says that he didn't know he had to disclose these gifts because they're from someone he calls a personal friend. Hmm. But he'll do so in the future. Now, these watchdog groups don't buy that. They point to the fact that Thomas used to declare these kinds of gifts for years until a 2004 L.A. Times article spotlighted the depths of Thomas's gifts that were more than almost any other justice. And real quick, any action in Congress that's important to look at here? You know, it's unlikely Democratic Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin has asked uh, Chief Justice John Roberts to testify early next month. Republicans not going along to mm-hmm. pressure him. That's Dominica Montanaro. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Um, will anything happen to him? I don't think so. Do I think he's the only one? No. How is he going to say he didn't know when he was doing it before and he's been in the position since Wapi killed Philip long time? So, yes. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, I was a low-level city employee low-level, yeah, mid-level city employee, and I had to do a financial disclosure every year. And it's like, what money do you have in the 401k? Who has given you gifts? Silly things like that. Like, it it was a 50-page document, and I was a mid-level employee. This is ridiculous. He knew this. He's a liar. He is a liar. He is one of the heads of government that oversees and listens to cases about these things. Mm-hmm. Come on now. Come on. Mm-hmm. And the sad part about it is, is that it's a lifetime appointment. And like you said, nothing's going to happen to him. It, it, it's ridiculous. Nothing's going to happen. And this is the sad part is that everybody else has checks and balances, but the Supreme Court don't. And it's in, and again, it's a lifetime appointment. He literally can sit there until he decides to retire or he passes. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping they will change. Get rid of this lifetime opportunity. Eight years, get out. Sorry. Max, for anybody, federal, eight years, out. I don't need you there anymore. 
because you get complacent and you think you're above the law and you're untouchable. No, we need other people need to get the opportunity as well. Sick of them. Um, and, it's, you know, I had this one for, um, believe it or not, but I might as well pull it up because it's a, it involves him as well. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, okay with a death row inmate being executed before DNA lawsuit concludes. Story courtesy of Baller Alert. The Supreme Court ruled on Wednesday in a 6-3 split decision that death row inmate Rodney Reed should get a chance to um, get the chance to DNA test crime scene evidence. Of the three dissenters, only embattled conservative Judge Clarence Thomas argued that Reed could still be executed despite the DNA claim. The meat of Reed's due process claimed concerns when the legal clock started running on Reed's claim. Reed was denied by Texas state and appellate courts the ability to DNA test specific evidence, saying he was too late. Reed's legal team argued that the clock should not run until the state appeal is resolved. Brett Kavanaugh, who wrote for the majority, said that if the clock started running with the state denial, people would raise federal claims while still appealing at the state level. The decision reversed the appellate court's decision and sent the claim back to the lower courts for Reed to challenge the state law on DNA testing. Of the three judges that dissented, Justices Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch mostly disagreed with the majority on when the clock should start running. Thomas, however, argued that Reed should not even raise a federal claim. MSNBC reported Jordan Rubin, um, reporter Jordan Rubin writes that Thomas did not stick to just the issue at hand. Instead, he wrote a 20-page rebuttal noting that there were no barriers to Reed's execution. If there is a mitigating factor to today's decision, he wrote, the outcome is no barrier to the prompt execution of Reed's lawful sentence. Reed was sentenced to death in 1998 for the murder of Stacy Stites. Prosecutors argued that Reed raped and killed Stites while she was on her way to work. Reed has maintained his innocence and instead blamed Stites' fiance, former police officer Jimmy Fennell. He believes that Fennell was angry over Stites, who was white, having an affair with Reed, who is black. The case has attracted the attention of high-profile celebrities such as Kim Kardashian, Oprah Winfrey, and Beyonce. In addition to stars, Reed has drawn support from lawmakers and people across the globe. So why is Clarence taking this stance? Why is he wanting to disregard DNA evidence that could possibly vindicate this man? Why is he doing that? Is it because there's a police officer involved? Is it because the woman is white and his wife is white? Because he is a piece of shit. <laughs> Donald came with the fire this morning. He cussed and everything. I flushed the toilet on that one. I should have a flush the toilet sound, I don't. Yeah. Big Donald. 
his face looks like the, the emoji, the poop emoji too. <laughs> I'm going in. Yeah, I am. We're on the radio, guys. We're being decent. We're being nice. <laughs> okay. Chief reeling us back in. You know, if Chief is reeling you back in, we must have overstepped. <laughs> no, really and truly. No, but this is a guy that has some of the most questionable behaviors recently being brought up against him. Like in every aspect, you know he's questionable at best. And look at the kind of decisions he's making. Mm-hmm. And yet still he sits there, and yet still he will get away with all the inappropriateness and all the, all the, the, the stuff that's come up against him. That is black and white. It's not like you have to, oh, look to see what's happening. It's black and white what he does. But yet still he keeps, and he's there for life. That's the sad part. You have a case where a guy was sentenced, where he was sleeping with a police officer, girlfriend, wife, whatever, and he is requesting DNA. Who turned down DNA? Exactly. <laughs> I don't understand that. Hmm. Follow the money trail. Yeah, well, well, that's why we have to be careful when we celebrate certain victories, you know, like, you know, because, you know, back in the days, like, you know, his appointment would have been celebrated as, you know, America is making stride in terms of race relation because you you have a, a black person on the Supreme Court now. You know, and these politicians they know what they're doing. They they find the t- the talking type of people to just put up there and they know because it works all the time. Like with what even Joe Biden did the other day. Like it works all the time. You 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 put up like someone that's considered like a minority or whatever, whichever is more popular, you know, at the time. And you put them up and you get, you know, this praise that, yes, America is changing. And then 20 years from now, 20 years later, then you come come back to bite in the butt, you know. So we have to be careful what we celebrate. Like, you can't just see like, okay, this is, you know, a black person, a Latino person, um, an Asian person, the first, you know, person on the Supreme Court of this background. And we just celebrate it without knowing their background. Because obviously the Republicans knew what they were doing when they put him up there that, you know, he's going to represent what um, certain sector of, of their base um, wants. And yeah, like it's it's turning out, you know, to, you know, biting us now. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. You know, y'all have been highly judgmental of my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Them chickens, you don't have any eggs to go pick up? Well, you know what? Leave Uncle Tom alone. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And let me just say on air, his appointment was always questioned. I just want to say that on air. I think I can take that one to the grave with me. Yes, my aunt Anita. Oh, gosh. Chief, what color eggs you have? Brown or white? I'll take Swirl. 
<laughs> he says swirl. <laughs> I'll take a dozen brown eggs, please. <laughs> but um, shame on you, Justice Clarence Thomas. Shame on you that you would say that there is no barrier to the prompt execution of Reed's lawful sentence. If you were in his position, Clarence, and you requested that DNA evidence be brought into play because you know for a fact that you are not guilty and that DNA evidence would clear you, would you be okay with a judge saying, oh, mm -mm, let's ignore it, move forward? Would you be okay with that, Clarence? No, you wouldn't. No, you would not. He needs to go to the civics class with Don, with that Sonette talked about that Don <laughs> Lemon needs to go to. They, they'll probably be in that class together. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Um, Susan Rice is leaving. Uh, she is the top domestic policy advisor. NPR is reporting. President Joe Biden said on Monday that his top domestic policy advisor, Susan Rice, will leave her post next month. As director of the White House Domestic Policy Council, Rice has had broad sway on the administration's approach to health care, immigration and racial inequality. It was a surprising shift for Rice, a longtime Democratic foreign policy expert who served as President Barack Obama's national security advisor and UN ambassador, the only person to serve in both positions. She worked closely with then Vice President Biden in those roles and was on his short list to become his running mate during the 2020 campaign. After more than two years of her steady leadership of the Domestic Policy Council, it's clear there is no one more capable and more determined to get important things done for the American people than Susan Rice. Well, that's what Biden said in his statement announcing her departure. Rice went into the job a flashpoint for Republican attacks dating back to the Obama years. In her wide-ranging tenure at the helm of Biden's domestic agenda, she helped oversee a flurry of executive and legislative action, including on health care, policing, gun safety, racial equity, and the massive $1 trillion infrastructure bill. Rice, in a tweet, said, I am so proud of all we have been able to accomplish together for the American people. Her last day on the job will be May 26. She was also a major player in the Biden administration's efforts to manage surging migrant numbers at the border, U.S.-Mexico border that is, by turning away many migrants who crossed the border illegally. Instead, the U.S. has agreed to accept thousands of migrants per month as long as they come legally, have eligible sponsors, and pass vetting and background checks. The decisions were seen as a shift to the right by some immigrant advocates who criticized the administration for moving away from promises to be more humane on immigration policies. The next person named to the job will have a different focus. With a divided Congress and lower expectations for passing major legislation, the new domestic policy advisor will be working on implementing the policies. Anybody familiar with her? Um, okay, so Sonnet says, uh, 
Oh, you know what? You are so right, Javed. I, I forgot about it. This is America, my son, the new song. But um, Sonette put, Rice's departure will be a big loss. And I, again, I'm not ashamed to say I don't, I'm not familiar with her. Um, are you able to speak a little bit about more about her and her role, Sonette? Just a little bit, uh, like you read, she was a part of the Obama administration. Um, she has, she was not only a part of his administration, so part of his election period, um, when Obama first got into, um, into the role of president from Senator, she was on that team to get him in that job. Um, she's, she's smart. She's got her, um, I don't, I don't think I, I know that much about her, but from what I've watched her just on this side, she doesn't get rattled easily. <laughs> just thinking about people who get rattled easily. She um, she has got a good um, handle on on uh, international affairs, which is why she's held that role in national security for two administrations back to back. Um, she was, I thought she was going to be a VP choice, but he, um, he went to Kamala instead um, for different reasons. But um, I think I'm not even worried about her. She's going to end up either going into some university or um, or another state administration where she's going to have a big role. I, I, but I don't know. I wish I could say with complete confidence her history and her bio. But all I know is that she's, she's a fantastic, phenomenal black woman. I'm done. All right. Thank you so much. And I just got a pop-up here on IG, and I'm not sure who sent it over, but let me go ahead and pull it up. It's with regard to Susan Rice. Um, let me see here. Bear with me one moment. Let me, okay, Javet sent it over. Thank you, Javet. So according to Wikipedia, Susan Elizabeth Rice, born November 17, 1964, is an American diplomat, policy advisor, and public official serving as director of the United States Domestic Policy Council since 2021, a member of the Democratic Party. Rice served as the 27th U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations from 2009 to 2013 and as the 23rd U.S. National Security Advisor from 2013 to 2017. Born in Washington, D.C., she attended Stanford University and New College, Oxford, where she was a Rhodes Scholar, received a Ph.D., she served on President Bill Clinton's National Security Council staff from 1993 to 1997 and was the Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs at the State Department from 1997 to 2001. Appointed at age 32, Rice was at the time the youngest person to have served as a regional assistant secretary of state. Rice's tenure saw significant changes in U.S.-Africa policy, including the passage of the African Growth and Opportunity Act, support for de uh, democratic transitions in South Africa and Nigeria, and an increased U.S. focus on fighting HIV-AIDS. A former Brookings Institution fellow, Rice served as a foreign policy advisor to Democratic presidential nominees Michael Dukakis, John Kerry, and Barack Obama. After Obama won the 2008 presidential election, Rice was nominated as ambassador to the United Nations. The Senate confirmed her by unanimous consent on January 22, 2009. 
During her tenure at the United Nations, Rice championed a human rights and anti-poverty agenda, elevated climate change and LGBT and women's rights as global priorities, and committed the U.S. to agreements such as the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, and the UN Millennium Development Goals. She also defended Israel at the Security Council, pushed for tough sanctions against Iran and North Korea, and advocated for U.S. and NATO intervention in Libya in 2011. Mentioned as a possible replacement for retiring United States Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in 2012, Rice withdrew from consideration following controversy related to the 2012 attack on a U.S. diplomatic facility in Benghazi. Benghazi, sorry. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Benghazi, let me get it right. President Barack Obama instead named her national security advisor in 2013, where she supported U.S. efforts on the Iran nuclear deal of 2015, the Ebola epidemic, the reopening to Cuba, and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. In 2021, Rice became the director of the Domestic Policy Council in the Biden administration. So they're saying, though, that immigration advocates will not miss her. Mm, They'll be happy to see her go. All right. Thank you, Javed, for sending that over. Yeah, moments. I think... I think it's obvious she's stepping down because I think she's going to run for president. You know, the, the candidates, because I, I don't think Joe Biden can, can do another another term. He's yeah. like 104 now. So I don't he think announced he it. <laughs> Leave Uncle yeah, Joe alone. Yeah, he just declared it. He, he yeah. declared it. No, I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to be challenged. Like, I, 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 I think he's going to be challenged. It, it doesn't make sense. You know, because he's already like, you know, so I, th- I think she's going to run. I think somebody, somebody, people are going to go up against him. Because, what, four more years, how, how old would, will he be? 84. He's 80 now. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I think she's going to run. I think she's going to put her, her, her hat in the race. Because she's, she's one of the more um, experienced and, and um, qualified. And, like, if she put her hat in the ring, she'd be, like, pretty much like a front runner. In terms of experience, you know, working with Obama and, you know, being a part of Obama. Because she was, she was a part of, like, the two, the two even the first campaign with Obama. Um, she was a part of that dream team. So she's, like, a, a superstar from then. Um, so I think she, she's going to run for office. That's what I feel. So let me ask you a question. If she were to take that direction... Out of um, between her and um, what's his name Kennedy, who would be a better fit? You think? And I think who- so. I think so far, like I think she would be. She would be. I think she would be the front runner. I feel so because of our experience and because of you know what she did in the, the Obama administration. I think the only thing that would go against her is you know the American. Um, America, like, not being ready yet for, like, a female president. Like, I think that that is the one thing that would go against her. Like, you, you know, because for whatever reason, I, America do, just don't seem to be ready. You know, so I feel like that would be our, the only thing against her. But in terms of qualification, 
mm-hmm. and likability. Like, even though there's some controversy, but out of all the other um, people that could possibly run, you know, like Core Booker himself, he's very likable, but I don't think people are going to, you know, run for, for um, are, are going to support him as much as they would support her. Mm-hmm. You know, as you're talking, what are the hot topics right now, the hot button issues um, that people who are interested in running for president, what are the issues right now that they need to speak on in a way that will reel us in? What, what are the issues? We, we know Ukraine is a hot button issue. What, what else? politics in general the division between the two parties right Mm -hmm. um food pricing of food um man i had a a couple in my head right now i don't know why they drop uh education medicine I think that um, I think for me, education will be one of the biggest things because of what is trying what is trying to be taken out of school and just the mindset of a person being able to learn anything they want without being censored. And for me, that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. because knowledge is power and they're trying to steal power from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much, Javet. In the chat, um, Beloved says, I think Biden is going to run to raise money but not stay. In fact, I can see him running with Gavin Newsom, someone who could step into the presidency. Beloved also said economy. Abortion rights, declining infrastructure. I think new to the list this time, I would say, are abortion rights, education, um, the stripping away in education, and Ukraine. But for every, um, I'm just thinking, and I may be wrong. Oh, reparations. <laughs> Good luck with that one, Jeep. I, I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but for every election, there is always some unrest somewhere in the world that the U.S. is involved in. Am I wrong? Hmm. I can't say for sure, but there seems to always there seems to always be unrest in the world. That the, and and the U.S. has their hand in it, one way or another. Yeah. Can I? I just say that the Thai issue with Taiwan. And China, I think that's going to be something that's looming, right? Because um, I think it's bubbling in a way, you know, like with China and Russia and they're cozying up um, and China very seriously, you know, like all of these little micro moments that are like um, whatever the the truce we had or not truce, but like we, we decided neutrality I think um, is going to force Americans' hands because Biden has very clearly saying that we're going to get into a fight if there is one. 
And so I don't know, like, I think it's going to, I think it's going to take a bigger in the coming years, like in the next year or so, if China chooses to kind of become more aggressive to Taiwan, I think the United States is going to be um, politically faced to put up or shut up. Um, and so I, I'm concerned about that. So I th- I could see that being a, something where people are going to want to know about. Just a note point. Doesn't the U.S. still officially um, accept the one China policy? although they, they speak behind on the Taiwan issue. And we also, we also have to look at the expanding of BRICS. China and Russia influence and the expanding of BRICS there. BRICS seems to be either receiving a lot of application or will be processing applicants yep. pretty, pretty soon. So that might be an issue. So I'm glad I asked the question because we have a long list. There is a laundry list of things that... Um, many of us are interested in those of us who are thinking i should say because you have people who are just no matter what they're going to go with republican or no matter what democrats but whoever is going to step up they will have a lot of questions to answer when it comes down to the debate time and how they answer these questions i think will be very important pivotal I think there is more weight on their shoulders now than four years ago. There's a lot going on. And which demographic would we say is the one that they're going to need to be able to win over? Which demographic will they have to do a lot of convincing to? Will they have to um, appeal to, to assure them that, yes, we can take the country in the direction it needs to go? You know what? I think for, for the first time in, in modern history, you know, where America, the next cycle of election, you know, to me, it's going to be more of America placed on the world than even taking care of, like, what's going on within America. Because, you know, the relation, you know, the, the China-Taiwan situation has to be number one. Russia is there, Russia-Ukraine. And then, at the same time, you know, Africa. And and because America is losing big time its, its place in the world. And I believe that, you know, China, the, the leaders in China, the leaders in, in Russia will just sit down and laugh if this the next election is taken up with um, trans rights, um, abortion rights, and stuff like that. Um, if all the election cycle is just fighting about those type of domestic things, um, China and, and Russia is going to be laughing because I feel like those type of stuff, like, allow people to do what they want to do, right? Like, government, you know, you spend 25% of, of, of your debate or whatever talking about what people do in their bedroom or what people do with their body when the, 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 the responsibility of the government is to take care of their people, you know, um, to, to keep America safe. So I feel like, you know, if the next, you know, um, leader is going up front, 
they're going to have to spend more time debating, especially with, with the relationship with China, because that that is going to turn the, the, the world upside down. You know, if, if we see what Ukraine is doing to the world now in terms of food prices, a war with China is going to flip the world upside down. Everything is made in China. iPhone is made in China, like all the pots and pans that we use. So America is going to be like a rat race to kind of um, redefine America and, and, and go back into manufacturing before a war because everything is going to be shut down. So I think that's going to be their main focus, like America stage on the world. All right. Thank you, um, James. So in the chat, um, Sonette said Hispanics, Latinos. Drew said millennial and Gen Z. Sonette also said the younger voters are becoming more educated. Politicians will have to speak more. Dre said, but they don't work for the people. They work for corporations. Now, and that's a big concern to me. I don't like that. I don't like that they technically work for us, but instead they prefer to answer to the corporations. I would love to see a shift in that. I would love to see a situation where they can no longer answer to corporations. And I think we will have a better outcome. I think it will put position this country better, especially when it comes to taking care of its citizens and not satisfying the 1%. Um, so let me see the rest of the comments here. Beloved said the dominance of the Chinese dollar is a threat to the U.S. I think Russia and China have made an agreement to use the Chinese yuan as the currency standard. Yes, they have. China has all of Africa to assert that standard. Uh, Drew said voting is a right worth fighting for, but I think it's more of an ideal than an actual action. Chief, you're going to leave me alone. <laughs> And it is sad, Sean, that money speaks. I always said, who, he who has the money has the power. And unfortunately, that is what has contributed to the amount of um, corruption that exists. That is what has caused we, the people, the government, to be neglected, to be overlooked. Yeah, we, the people, we are the government. Yeah. So um, a lot of work for them to do, a lot that they're going to have to answer to. Um, the debates are going to be more rigorous, I, I, I can foresee. Um, them going to have to come good, as we say in Jamaica. Them have to come real good. They have their work cut out for them. Um, the Gen Zs and, yeah, millennials and Gen Zs, yep. You know, there was a time when I would say woman, but right now I don't know. Because you will have the woman moving forward. And then when it gets to the moving forward together, agreeing on, on certain issues. But then when we get to the polls, one group sell out the other group. It's just one group. We, 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 can, just, we can just call them out because they, they keep falling behind their men with their noses open. Yes. But the rest of us, where the rest of us have said, yes. well, those women have a problem and we're going to leave them women alone. Yeah. But aren't they the majority, though, when you're looking at the female vote, though, Sonette? 
And that's concerning. Mm. That not is... anymore. Not anymore. The population who's aging up to 18 and, and, and can vote is, uh, um, beloved, kill me all the time, the um, Hispanic Latino group. They, they, are eight, they are old enough now, and they're going to be the majority. That's what I meant. These are the people who are going to be the ones who we have to, I just hope, I mean, Arizona turned blue, so, so that, that's, that's a good look there. But if they vote, like we believe they will, these young Latino and Hispanic youth are going to be the ones who make the, um, who can help turn the tide. Don't count but on I'm, the ones in Florida, though, not in Miami. No, 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 no. We don't think about them so much. <laughs> Unfortunately, no, no, wow. I, mean, I mean, no, that's, I'm trying to <laughs> clean that up. I'm trying to clean that up. No need to. Oh my they God. go with their, with their parents. They're going to go oh, with their man. parents and they can't. I don't mess with them either though. Yeah, They exactly. don't come to the meetings anymore. Exactly. Thank you, beloved, for backing me up, sis. Like, no, they're not. I'm with you, Sonette. Yeah, they, they, they're different breed altogether. Yeah, count Miami so let's out. Let's be clear. Like the white supremacist nationalists are appealing to them, and the white Latinos that can be subsumed into whiteness, they will do that as a as a measure, as a practice of the quote unquote American dream. They will sell black people out because the effort to like build solidarity has not been there for the immigrant community. So like if somebody gives them an in, they'll take that in. Mm -hmm. And that makes, it makes me sad to say, I mean, I'm, I'm like, let's be clear. I'm Afro, you know, my, my people, like we embrace our African heritage. I'm Puerto Rican. We don't play that. Um, I'm also from New York. So that's a whole different thing. But the folks who can assimilate and be given an opportunity to be subsumed into whiteness, they will do that, which is the reason why we really need to, like, make an investment in solidarity raising to, so that they can understand that, listen, Colonel Sanders is giving you a room, but you are still a chicken and he will fry you. I'm going to mute my mic. I love that one. I love that one. <laughs> I absolutely love that one. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, of course, the conversation continues. We're going to have more on that. Um, oh, Chief said a Latino was head of the Proud Boys. <laughs> yeah, we don't like that one yeah. either. But yeah. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. He's Cuban. That's the ones we're talking about. We're throwing them away. Well, I'm going to throw them out, but I'm not counting them. <laughs> Uh, little Havana, <laughs> Opalaka. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, but um, it's sad. Oh, I, I tell you, just when was it over the weekend? Driving around, um, you have some of them down here with their um Trump twenty twenty four flags on the back of their pickups. Oh Lord, help us! Yeah. Mm hmm. So, of course, wait. We wait. <laughs> They don't have DeSantos. They have Trump. They have what? Trump 2024. What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any DeSantos ones yet. Got to get out there a little more. <laughs> uh, and see what placards they're going to put post in their yards and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So as we mentioned earlier, U.S. President Joe Biden has announced his 2024 re-election campaign. It's the long-anticipated announcement, and it positions Biden for a potential rematch against current Republican frontrunner Donald Trump. <laughs> Moments, can I, can I ask something? Go right ahead. Um, is is um, the fund that they raise, is it transferable? What funds and transferable to whom? No, like, what? okay, because Joe Biden would be, would get funded more, right? By by their super PAC. So just say, like, um, he announced that he's going to run and there is, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And at the last minute, he's like, you know what? For health reason, I'm, I'm stepping away and I'm opening it, opening it up to other candidates. Can that money be transferred to um, another person if, you know, elected to run? So let's say, for example, he steps away and give, he, can he give it to Kennedy? I don't know. I don't know how that works at all. Okay, because honestly, like, I, I seriously don't think he's going to follow through. I don't think so. You've been saying Donald that. Trump, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not human. Donald Trump, trust me, he's not a human being. He, he has the energy. I don't know where you get it from, I, you know, but he's not a human being. <laughs> but I don't... You know, you look at him and you look Pull at Joe, back. I don't think Joe is going to find <laughs> Chief, behave yourself. You heard what Chief said, James. Pull the hairline back. You'll see the horns. Oh, Lord have mercy. Y'all going to behave yourselves. Y'all not going to disrespect a Donnie boy like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh the republican national committee said biden is so out of touch that after creating crisis after crisis he thinks he deserves another four years is he out of touch folks is he out of touch i think he's asleep <laughs> that part i know well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had the uh, second highest level of Republican support, standing at 31%, although he has yet to formally announce his candidacy. Is he still in Japan or has he moved on to his next um, destination? I don't know. What you ass need to do is get your ass back home and see how you can look about Florida. We got issues. Yeah, we had more rain again and more flooding again. Thank you. You're behind traipsing all over the country trying to test your, 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 your whatever overseas. You know what I think he's doing, though? You see how he's on um, Disney's behind on their ass? And I think he's trying to bring them down by any means necessary. I think this tour is to secure investors so that he can get rid of Disney and hand over to them. That, that's me. I may be dreaming. I don't know. Or um, my thoughts are a little out there. I don't know. But something may right. I smell a rat looking for more people to add strings to him and pull him in whichever direction. That, that's all I'm going to say. So, Javed put in the chat, um, funds and assets may be transferred without limit between a candidate's principal campaign committee and the candidate's other authorized committees.
for the same office during the same election. So there goes the answer, James. Thank you, Jabba. I'm still reading Me, can it I to say it. one? Can, just an observation about Disney. He would have to replace that corporation with something that could replace the secondary, um, the secondary um, money makers because all the Airbnbs, all the tourism, the restaurants, the service workers, that is the real money that's coming into it, not just the park, right? Like all the stuff that comes with it. So a lot of people are eating off of Disney, not just Disney. Mm -hmm. So he would have to, so like, a, like for example, him putting a factory is not gonna replace that income. And by the way, I'm waiting for an evangelical to come onto the set and say, because of DeSantis, we have this algae blob and we've got the red wave that is consuming Florida. Well, let me be quiet because now my coffee is kicking and so I'm done speaking. I smell chicken. <laughs> you know what? I love it. I love it. Oh, boy. Okay. So, yeah. go. okay. One, go ahead, James, and then I have to take a break. I am so behind. Yeah, no, I, I think I think on, on the Santos tour, he, like, should take um, a, a tour down to Detroit and see what pulling out, like, a company that, that is the, the, the heartbeat of a city can do to it. Because, like, the automate, automate industry is not, like, the automotive industry, like, is like, in Detroit is not half of what Disney is. Disney is like the entire ecosystem. Like, if that goes down, I think you look at Florida the same way you see in Detroit, like, um, 10, 15 years ago. Like, houses just... Like bulldozers just going in and 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 put you know mashing down houses because like the value just you know drops. So you should be careful. Take a trip to Detroit and see what messing with a big company can do to a city. Wow. That's where you should do. All right, thank you, James. Going to take a quick break. When we get back, we have business and tech news and more. Keep it locked.
so much to everyone right here with me on clubhouse thank you for hanging out thank you thank you for contributing your voice and your comments via the chat really appreciate it Gonna give a big thank you to everyone listening online qmz the quality music zone and johnoradio.com keep it locked Turned up Tuesday, we're playing yesterday's hits and favorites today. I've been thinking about what I want to do with you. I know the mother guys, they've been talking about the way I do what I do. Coming up, we are going to talk some more about Fed Now, and I know Chief has something to further support, something he mentioned last week. We ran out of time yesterday, but we're going to get to it today. Also coming up, lending money can cause friction and here's how to avoid it. Also coming up, the ex-officer who fatally shot Breonna Taylor has been hired as a deputy. Remember to set your alarms for 7 p.m. Eastern this evening and join Rose Solo on The Rose Solo Show live on JanoRadio.com, QMZRadio.com, ViscosityBlend.com, CoffeeRadio.com, WKRIS for the interview that will be happening with the one and only original Shinehead, international reggae dancehall artist. And we will also be live streaming the interview through Clubhouse. There is one more for you from Faith Evans, and then we're going to go ahead and get back to business.
right, it is a quarter past the top of the hour. Let's go ahead and get back to business. Thank you once again to everyone logged on to QMZRadio.com, JanoRadio.com, and everyone here with me on Clubhouse. So our first story in our business and tech segment, Vegas to California high-speed train gets bipartisan backing. Okay, then story courtesy of the Associated Press via WSVN. A bipartisan congressional group from Nevada and California asked the Biden administration on Monday to fast-track federal funds for a private company to build a high-speed rail line between Las Vegas and the Los Angeles area. All six of Nevada's elected federal lawmakers and four House members from California said in a letter to U.S. Transportation Secretary Peter, and I cannot pronounce his last name. I know Senate has told me several times. B-U-T-T-I-G-I-E-G. What's his last name? How you pronounce it? Buttigieg. 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 Thank you, ladies. Appreciate you. That they are on board with a proposal from Brightline West to spend more than $10 billion to lay tracks. Trains would whisk passengers generally along the traffic-clogged Interstate 15 corridor. Um, Brightline West is seeking $3.75 billion in federal funding from the Biden administration-backed federal infrastructure law. How quickly would they be able to recoup that, though? Hmm. That's a lot of money. Is it something that they should look into? The recouping of the money to build the rail? I'm sorry. No, no, no. Should, should they go ahead? Should, is that something they should um, seek to do to build the ra- the track, the high-speed rail between Vegas and L.A.? Definitely, 100%. Um, yeah, I all right so go ahead set it and then dre latest first dre sorry go no, ahead sorry dre. no dre started first <laughs> he was right i agree i was agreeing with him like exactly oh, okay they were coming when i heard the story says los angeles like still six hours for me to drive to la to get on that i could drive from obviously ff to vegas but it's a it's a long drive but Flying would be easier, huh? an hour flight. Okay, all right. Go ahead, Dre. Yeah, it's worth it. So, like, like Sana is saying. So, yeah, we do need one from from LA also to San Fran, but that that Vegas to uh, LA one, it's uh, is very important. It's um, a lot of people in LA mm-hmm. go to go to Vegas for the weekend. Um, a lot of people that live in Vegas right now is from. South Florida, um, not South Florida, um, Southern California, right? So people go back and forth all the time. And the 15, that, that highway that takes you into Vegas is just like, so my sister live in Vegas. So I try not to leave on a Friday because the entire LA is going to Vegas on a Friday. And 
and on a Sunday, the entire LA is coming back. Mm. So you will be in crazy traffic, and it's the only highway because there's those mountains, and it cut through the mountain is the only way in, and is the only way getting back. So um, the railway, just for commute purposes, um, is 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 important. Um, I used to commute once when I, I was in Vegas, and I I used to just drive to LA like um and just work like two days and come back to vegas so a lot of people do that too so it, it's needed and as sunny say a lot of people like back and forth between san francisco and la they need a they need a high speed right there so also which i think they're working on i don't know how come that can never be finished mm. Okay. All right. Thank you, Drew. Sonette said also the environmental impact would be great. But Brightline, they, every, almost every week there's an accident with them down here in South Florida because they run from um, Fort Lauderdale to West Palm Beach. Well, Miami to West Palm Beach, I should say. And um, they now, I think they just opened up a station in Orlando as well. Um I hope they iron out those issues because I don't know what it is. At least I'm I'm exaggerating when I'm saying every week, but at least twice a month they they are in the news here with some pedestrian getting struck or a vehicle getting hit. Something is always going on. But um, so I'm reading a little more. The lawmakers' letter pointed to company projections of thirty-five thousand construction jobs. 1,000 permanent jobs and the diversion of millions of automobile users from I-15 to a faster, more efficient zero-emission transportation option. And that's um, aligning with what Sonette and Dre are saying. Amtrak passenger service to Las Vegas ended in 1997 with the demise of a train called the Desert Wind. The concept of building a bullet train through the Mojave Desert dates to at least 2005 under various names. It has seen starts and stops over the years and became sidetracked during the COVID-19 pandemic. Brightline is the only privately owned and operated intercity passenger railroad in the United States. In Florida, Brightline West's sister company began sharing the Florida East Coast freight line between Miami and West Palm Beach in 2014 and is building an extension into Orlando. Well, it's already open. High-speed trains running through urban areas have drawn criticism for numerous crashes with vehicles at rail crossings. Investigators found in none of the deaths were the railroad's fault, determining that many were suicides or drivers or pedestrians trying to beat the trains um other places where high-speed trains have been proposed include um 240 miles from dallas to houston and that's in texas and a 500 mile system linking la to san francisco as you just pointed out they should do something like that right dre completion of the california line depends on funding and other unknowns okay so seems as though there is more um, folks in favor of them embarking on that project. So, um, you know, the, the part about emissions, that's a sell point, zero emission transportation option. That's a huge selling point as we are all concerned about the environment and the effects of um, technology and vehicular, tra vehicular um, traffic 
when it comes to the 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 um atmosphere so you know yeah should be an easy sell i think it will be all right okay when 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 they when 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 they come out with it um more people because a lot of people from la is like they they're moving to vegas because it's, it's cheaper um so it's a, it's a four and a half hour drive depending if you're going exactly in la it's four and a half hour if you're on the outskirts it's three and a half four hours so with that train a lot of people would live in vegas and and, and work in la wow <laughs> to save to save money hmm. yep okay all right thank you so much all right, next up, lending money can cause friction, and here's how to avoid it, courtesy of tt.loopnews.com. So a moment of silence for all the relationships that soured faster than milk, forgotten on the kitchen counter overnight, the moment you asked to be repaid for money you loaned. That's our minute of silence. When someone finds themselves in a bind financially, it's often those closest to them who they reach out to for support. But financial loans between close friends or relatives can easily fall into awkward territory for both the potential lender and borrower. One party can find themselves feeling unfairly burdened with problems that are not theirs to resolve, while the other must tackle the almost inevitable discomfort attached to having to ask for help in the first place. Blurring the lines between relationships and finances can put a strain on even the strongest of relationships, as borrowers may not feel the same urgency to repay their loan as they would be required to if approaching a finance, financial institution. So where does that leave you, the potential borrower? While you may want to hurriedly agree to your loved one's request for a loan, it is best to press pause and process your own feelings before making any commitments. Lending money or choosing not to is a personal decision which should never be made with guilt or pity as our main deciding factor. Being prepared in advance gives you the upper hand to handle awkward money conversations before they arise. So, be firm but kind. It is not always what you say, but in most cases, how you say it. Even as you enforce your financial boundaries, it is basic human decency to treat people with respect when they are in a vulnerable position, as this can help to make an uncomfortable situation less jarring for them. People will always remember how you made them feel during a low moment. The compassion you extend can preserve the closeness of your relationship without having to abandon your own boundaries. And who knows, a day may come where you may require the same empathy. Offer to help in another way. Depending on the purpose for which you are being asked to borrow money, it can be helpful to explore with the person asking whether there is any other way you can be of assistance other than providing them with a cash bailout. A friend who needs help to hire a babysitter in order to fulfill a work obligation, for example, can benefit from an offer to look after their children you know, during the specific period. In the same way, 
a relative who is job hunting and needs suitable attire for their interview may be able to appreciate an item in your closet. What you offer will depend on the type of relationship the two of you enjoy. People all need help from time to time and making yourself available to help in some way or you know another can lessen the blow of rejection while affirming your commitment to your loved one. Keep your finances private. People instinctively want to share good news in their lives and financial progress is no different. While you may want to dote about a raise or a lump sum payment you recently received, sharing too much information can make you an attractive target for someone wanting to borrow money. Many people who experience financial success speak of friends either assuming that money can be easily lent because the person has it to give. If someone moves from simply asking to demanding or expecting money on the basis of your financial status, it might be time to establish new boundaries. You're also not obligated to explain the extent of your own financial responsibilities either. A healthy partner will respect your boundary without holding it against you or a healthy relationship or friendship. Be aware of patterns. The unfortunate truth is that kind-hearted people, we spoke about givers last night, but the unfortunate truth is that kind-hearted people are often taken for granted and those who prey on others can have no limits to how much they will like to take. By agreeing to be a crutch for a loved one who has grown accustomed to turning to you in their moments of need, you also handicap them from developing a sense of self-sufficiency, in turn, creating a cycle of over-dependence. Also, pay attention to the purpose a person is asking for money. A general rule is to stick to choosing to offer assistance for necessities only. In the event that you do decide to lend money, it is still recommended to establish some rules to help the process to go as smoothly as possible. Next, never lend more than you can afford to lose. It is a good rule of thumb to lend only amounts you are able to do without for an extended period. This protects you from falling into your own precarious situations should the person repay their loan later than promised or even worse end up not paying at all and finally create a contractual agreement yes even for your closest relative or friend the truth is there can be a breakdown in relationships and a borrower who feels slighted may falter on their promise to repay. The document does not have to be a complex legal document, but having a paper trail with a signed signature can protect you if the relationship goes sour. Ah, mm -hmm. How many relationships have been damaged? Not necessarily intimate relationships, but relationships in general. Many have gone sour 
many, 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 many. Um, in the chat, if you many, 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 many. <laughs> if I lent you money, I figured I gave it to you, which goes to don't lend it on you can manage to if unless you can manage to lose it. That that it's like gambling, right? Um, yeah. All right, next up. Okay. I can squeeze in one more and then it's on to the story for Fed now. First Republic Bank, more than $100 billion of withdrawals this year, story courtesy of the BBC. First Republic Bank customers pulled more than $100 billion from their accounts in the first three months of the year amid concerns about the health of the global banking system. The U.S. bank says its deposits fell by over 40% since the end of December. It comes after Swiss banking giant Credit Suisse yesterday revealed the scale of the bank run that triggered its state-backed rescue last month. A series of bank collapses have raised fears of a crisis in the sector. With the closure of several banks in March, we experienced unprecedented deposit outflows. That's according to First Republic's CFO, Neil Holland. We are working to restructure our balance sheet and reduce our expenses and short-term borrowings. First Republic also said it planned to cut costs by shedding 20% to 25% of its workforce in the coming months. I tell you what y'all can do. Cut the salaries of these execs. Cut the salaries of execs. They don't need the, the millions that they're getting annually. In addition to the bonuses that they're getting, cut their bonuses. They don't need bonuses. They don't because their salary is more than substantial. So cut that. I'm helping you here so you don't have to lay off people. And it's always the people at the bottom who feel the blows, right? So um, I can help. That, that will help you to, you know, cut costs right there, 20 to 25%. Just, just cut their salaries. Get rid of bonuses for execs. Okay. Uh, next up, <laughs> if you want to reassure the public and not have everyone run to Apple because Apple is looking to pay 4%, Move away from the 0.01% that you're paying people on their deposits while you're rinsing their money and making millions. How about that? Let's talk about interest rates on loans. As I'm saying that, did you all hear the one um, that uh, they want to penalize people who have good credit? I say level the playing field for everybody. You can't be charging me 24% because I have a 580 credit score. It's not fair to me. You're oppressing me. You're suppressing me. So just a few ideas. I don't know. All right. I, I, I'm probably being unreasonable in my requests as always. <laughs> Okie dokie. Uh, let me find. So last week we started talking about Fed now. And it is as it is is a hot topic. Oh, that needs to be added to a matter of concerns for politicians, right? Um, that Chase Bank thing. <laughs> Remember, we um, Chief highlighted it last week. So we're going to continue to listen to a little bit more of the video that Chief had sent over to us. Um, it's about the Fed now service, the Federal Reserve, their, um, their version, I want to call it, of Cash App, Zell Venmo, and all of that. Okay. Uh, here we go. And let me just run through this commercial real quick. Okay, skip ads. Bank regulator. 
used to be a, an umpire is suddenly stepping into the arena into the into the game is participating is competing against the banks that's an extraordinary development because also it immediately shows hang on isn't there a conflict of interest yeah and with that in mind because these plans have been around for a long time it's not sudden um, a sudden thing this idea of cbdc's we should revisit the past 10 15 maybe 20 years of central bank policies because if their goal is oh there's too many banks we need to reduce the number of banks and by the way we're going to compete against banks then maybe all their policies monetary policies regulatory policies could have been affected by this conflict of interest and maybe the policies were more or less designed to reduce the number of banks and allow the rollout of central bank digital currencies which are as you correctly pointed out that's the third feature they're not really a currency also they're a control tool more than anything all right a, a lot to break down there and i i get you're making several points here uh including that perhaps this was by design for a central bank national authority to have more control over the traditional financial system. That consolidated power, as we know, is ultimately a bad thing. You want more independent players for a number of reasons, certainly one of them being economic freedom. I get that digital payments have been around for a very, very long time. I mean, who practically uses cash anymore? But let's expand on the idea of the basics of a CBDC, how it it's potentially different because it operates on the blockchain, therefore allowing for transactions to be monitored 24-7. And sure, governments can sort of solicit or, or get the, the uh, banking details from banks, but this would give governments a direct way to see every single transaction made, every single payment made, every single payment received. So break down that idea for us, how essentially it's just a form of a fiat currency, but that is on a blockchain type of platform, potentially, and that it eliminates privacy, eliminates anonymity, and can also be potentially programmable. Expand on that for us, please, Professor. Yes, well, the key aspect is really the programmability. The blockchain, in a way, is a bit of a distraction because it could be on a blockchain or not. It doesn't have to be. You have different options and ultimately they could even, just before launch, change our mindset or oh, it's not gonna be uh, you know, distributed ledger blockchain. Um, the key thing is it's programmable. The technology is there to not just monitor every single transaction, but also to analyze this in real time and Inter intervene, step in, and you can have, um, you know, very quickly um, using algorithms, AI, you know, um, ways to reshape society and um, essentially introduce a social credit system, as we've uh, we've seen in China, where you get rewarded for certain activities, you get punished for others, and the punishment will include, well sorry, your money is not going to work for certain transactions. And the central planners will decide what's good for you, what you're allowed to buy, where you're allowed to buy it. Oh, you're outside your 15-minute city um, area. Oh, sorry, your, your currency, your CBDC is not working anymore. And you can then also even fine-tune what type of things you're allowed to buy. This book is okay, but Princes of the Yen at quantumpublishers.com, well, that one 
we don't want you to read and find out how central banks have been manipulating the cycles and the economy to increase their power. And so it doesn't work. You can't buy it. Right. Um, they can essentially decide what's going to happen in society. Now, that is such totalitarian power. Um, and they've said this, you know, they've, uh, um, they've said in various speeches, um, also at the BIS, the central bank of the central banks, where they've got a big project on CBDCs, how this is a marvelous, exciting technology that will give them so much power. And so far, the tools that we've had, they've had, they, they don't give them these powers. And that's, of course, why they don't like cash. And they don't even like bank digital currencies, the bank money that we've been using, because the banks have been very good. They have not abused their position of power in the sense that they have not intervened to manipulate our transactions. And they've even, to my knowledge, been uh, quite good about bank secrecy, because we know that if you buy something on Amazon and, and other you know online uh, retailers, you know all of them, um, the information of your transactions is being used. You know your searches in Google and so on is being used. Banks have, to my knowledge, essentially been lagging very much behind this and have not exploited the wide array of information they have on us and our transactions. Um, so, based on this record, we should rather actually trust the banks um, because their history has been. Um, less exploitative of the knowledge that, that is there. Um, and with central bank digital currency, you know, it is linked to central planners who love to centrally plan and intervene and tell us what to do. Right. Uh, is the idea... Okay, so I'm going to pause right there. Chief, where are you there? Okay. Can you speak, Chief? Yeah, I can speak. I think that's where we left off, where we picked up at last time. Right. But um, anyway, I sent you, you know, we're talking about the banking situation. Mm -hmm. And my last question was, do banks, I mean, does the IRS sponsor banks? Right. right? Like, what is the IRS? What kind of institution is the IRS? How is it connected to the banking system? And prior to Fed now, that's never happened. Right. So I was filling out my L some LLC uh, documents online on the IRS website, not a separate, you know, uh, entity, but on the IRS website. Um, and when it completed, it gave me the list of instructions for all the things I need to set up a banking account. Da, 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 da. And then it lists Chase Bank with a three hundred dollar bonus for signing up with Chase Bank. And I thought to myself, what the mm -hmm. chicken scratch is going on here, right? And so I screenshot, I made a screenshot. I had, uh, I sent it to Javed to see if she could send it to you, but- I got it, I uh, got it. Okay. I got the screenshot. Um, yeah, it was insane. Like, nobody's gonna believe this. So, so that's where I'm in this segment. Guess what? You may want to go ahead and open that account with Chase because somebody just got home billions of dollars credited to their account and that fool went and reported it. And it's not the first time Chase has been depositing money in people's accounts, but these fools keep reporting it. Well, because they know the consequence. <laughs> no, I'm going to let that money sit. 
you mess up, you fumble the ball and you drop $50 billion in my account, it's going to sit there. I'm not reporting nothing. You're going to figure it out on your own. That's all I'm going to say. You can't. What you going to come at me and tell me I stole it? No, you gave it to me. Thank you. <laughs> God answers prayers. <laughs> Maybe they'll let well, you keep the interest from it. <laughs> right. They'll let you sit on it till it's time to pay taxes. <laughs> okay. So should we really be worried about Fed now? I My concern oh, is the control. It's the control. Why is it so important that you have to control us? You know what it boils. You know what um, Marlon and I said the other day, uh, Chief. All this money that was spent during the pandemic, they got to recoup it. All this money that is given to Ukraine, they have to recoup it. So they want to have a hand on every dollar that you're getting, regardless of where you're getting it from. I think that's what it is, too. I may be wrong. But I didn't tell you to give Ukraine any money. I didn't. Why the need to control us? Why the need to know where we are every second of the day? Because you're going to know once we use our card, right? Because if you force us into being a cashless society, of course, you're going to be able to track people easily and they're going to sell it. It's safety. Nobody's They can't rob you because you don't have any cash. They can't stick you up at the ATM because there's no cash for you to take out. Everything is digital. Easy selling point, right? And people are going to buy into that. But some of us do think the control. Why the need to control folks? You already can track us through our cell phones, our iPads, our watches, whether you have an Android or uh, Apple Watch, they can track you. You are already tracking us through security companies because when you put a ring camera or you call Xfinity or ADT or whatever security company, you're trackable. You can be tracked through your bills, through your salary. So why this need to have a handle on us where the money is concerned, Chief? Please explain that part to me. Well, again, you have, <clears throat> you look at BRICS, you look at what's happening, happening overseas around the globe. And there's about to be a major shift in the power structure and how that's set up. Like this whole, you know how Trump Trump had this policy, make America great again. Well, that might not be a choice because <laughs> you're gonna have to centralize all the money. And that's really what it's talking, that's really what it's about. It's about making sure that you can account for every dime that American citizens are have access to how much is leaving the country, how to regulate that, right? How to, how to put stipulations so you don't have any banking privacy. Um, you know, all these things are, they're important to making Fed now a success, right? But again, we're, that makes us vulnerable to cyber attacks because if Fed now gets hit with a cyber attack, it's going to affect everybody mm -hmm. in, the, in the United States, mm -hmm. right? 
is already telling you that they're going to be they are responsible for bank closings except one in particular <laughs> obviously <laughs> so it's just about us putting the putting the clues together then you have uh i think i mentioned last time about how if you if things do get out of hand and we do hit and uh, you know uh, uh, domestically we we go into a crisis a financial crisis that requires them to create a, a, a centralized system where all money flows in and out of that system and only that system. It's the, it's the greatest form of control. You'll never have to deal with civil war inside the country. Because mm-hmm. all you got to do is shut down the institution, shut down all banking. That's, that's, that's one hell of a control mechanism. Do the Saudis still own, stick up in, um, real, let me ask you real quick. Mm-hmm. Do the Saudis still own 51% of Chase? That's a good question. I didn't look that up. I didn't, I no, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's Citibank. I'm so sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's Citibank. Okay. I got it mixed okay. up. Yeah. The Saudis own 51% of Citibank. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think anyway, Jeff wants to ask uh, you a question. He goes into greater detail about some of the things that I'm talking about. Okay. I think somebody has a question for you, Chief. Um, getting back to one of the conversations we had earlier about the power of the dollar, do you think that this is another reason why uh, they're going to push through the Fed now as quickly as they can so the United States can contain power? Chief, where are you? Absolutely, without a doubt. Right. The dollar has fluctuated. If you pay attention to the dollar, the dollar in value, the dollar has fluctuated dramatically over the past month. It's been dramatic ups and downs with the with the with the value of the dollar. So, yeah, you're I mean, that's not even. That's yeah, that's 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 the biggest fact with all of this. You're going to have to keep all the money in the U.S., in order to make America remain great. (laughs) (laughs) Again. To some people. From Colonel Sanders' perspective. (laughs) Control, control, control. But you know what what is shocking for me is that the only Republican I've heard come out against it so far is um, DeSantis. I'll give him that, right? How do how are the Republicans feeling? Because I don't think they want to be controlled. I don't think they want their money being watched. They've been quiet. No, I don't think any American will. After most people don't even know Fed now exists. Hmm. Well, they do now because of moments and. World news on the go. Happy <laughs> in tow. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Yeah, somebody, somebody, yeah, some other country, some other country is going through a major. 
So Crystal asked, sorry, Crystal asked the chat, so does this mean we can't travel internationally? And how ironic it is that you're asking that question, Crystal, because last week I brought that up and I, you know, I raised an example and I said, you know, what if they put out a travel advisory against a country, but you want to go nonetheless? Isn't that a way to cripple you, prevent you from being able to go by locking your card off when you're attempting to purchase a ticket? But well, yeah, you can face that, but I don't think that's the biggest. I don't think that's the biggest fear. The biggest fear is when you when you do travel, will your currency have any value? That part too. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, because you're gonna you know how we nor typically right now we'll go to another country. We'll go to get you know the local money, which is usually in the form of paper currency. Right. We're not doing a lot of digital transactions unless you're going to big, you know, outlets and malls and things like that. But for the most part, that's what we got to really think about. Like, what is the value of the dollar going to be in countries that have their own currency? It will virtually be worthless. You know what I think as you're talking, Chief, you know what I'm thinking for those countries who borrow from the IMF? I have a very strong feeling that they're going to be forced to convert to digital currency. And then when you go to well, those countries, you will be able to um, exchange goods, um, exchange money for services and go goods and services digitally. So think about what you just said. What did we talk about? What did Russia just do? Russia just removed billions in debt from Africa, from some of the countries in Africa. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. That's few. That means fewer African countries would be vulnerable to the very thing you just mentioned. Yeah. Hmm. Which makes them a good candidate for the plan to unite to create that global currency that does not that devalues the U.S. dollar. And, and the dollar will have to be strong in the U.S. It will have to be. And then Crystal made another made another valid point um, by asking the question: How can we make money internationally? Because a lot of people, entrepreneurs, small business owners, do trade internationally. How is it going to affect me wanting to buy shoes from Fumzi in Ghana? I will no longer be able to. How is that going to affect me? Want and I brought this up as an example. Yes, um, last week, for example, you want to tip DJ Teflon when you're in his space, or you know, how is it going to affect him? Because Cash App is no, not going to be there for you to tip him via Cash App, so he gets the money instantly. How how will well, that affect? Well, I don't. You know, so I we have a lot I of questions. That, yeah, I don't perceive that being an issue. What's going to happen is you're going to U.S. citizens will have to pay more for things for product that where the transfer is taking place overseas, where you're putting money into it. So like Teflon may say, well, look, <laughs> the U.S. dollar ain't worth crap. So this fee that I normally pay that you normally had to pay, I'm going to have to raise the price a little bit. But. Yeah, wow, I think there are so many tentacles. It's like an octopus with the eight tentacles and then all these little sponges underneath the bottom. I think this is, I, I don't know if they have thought this through in 
every aspect. I don't know because we're not hearing a detailed explanation. But another thing I'm concerned about, for example, you have folks that come to come up from Jamaica to Miami to purchase goods to go back and sell, right? How is that going to affect them? Or could it be that the U.S. is now going to be losing out on the opportunity for the people who have businesses, wholesalers here, for example, in Miami, who rely on folks from the Caribbean or, or Latin America to keep their doors open? How is that going to affect trade that way? Yeah. That's a good question. I think it's going to, if, if this thing really is a bank killer, most likely what's going to happen is it's just going to force people to utilize the systems that only Fed now will approve of. So let's say you had an account with Wells Fargo or Western Union or World Remit. You know, they may, they, they're going to, they're going to most likely have to, those companies will have to either merge with a supported bank or they won't be able to do business it, it's got to it's, it's it, it, like you said there are too many there are too many unknowns but there are enough clues to make us think about uh, or see the direction they're going in mm -hmm. like even when you look at the arguments for people who are opposed to it in politics number one they're going to be opposed to it for two reasons one is economic personal investment into the institutions when I, like, like say if you're invested into a banking institution and you know you're going to have to sell. You don't want to sell. You might not even like the bank that they're utilizing or have no interest in it because people start, people already understand you lose a certain level of freedom when you, when the feds take over everything. Yeah. And that's really how people are looking at this. Like this is a fed takeover, literally. Mm -hmm. And what, I, what, I, how do you oppose it? Right. So it, it's going to be designed in such a way that's going to be highly attractive to younger generations because about because it's going to be about uh, accommodations and uh, how how, how um, accessible it is, how streamlined and how simple it is. Like when I saw this thing with my LLC, I thought, man, if I was a newcomer to this, I would have just flowed right into it. What? Three hundred dollars? Chase Bank? I ain't got to go to the bank. I can do it all. Everything right here, right now. All right. Hold a second for me, That's Chief. Hold on one second for me. I got to yeah. wrap up on air. Hold on. Acting different, yeah. Funny how I finally flipped the script on ya. Yeah. When you the one who's double dipping, yeah. You so sloppy how I caught you slipping, uh. You're off the gonna give a big thank you to everyone that logged on to the quality music zone qmzradio.com for quality music while you work or play keep it logged on to www.qmzradio.com for that good music to get you through your day thank you to everyone listening on johnoradio.com download the johnno radio app for that non-stop party vibe j-a-h-k-n-o it is available in your apple and google play stores johnno radio take us on the go you need
to hurry and pick up your a big 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 thank you to everyone right here with me on clubhouse thank you as always for the great conversation shared views varying opinions and always interesting perspectives thank you so much for joining me for coffee in tow world news on the go we do this every monday through friday 9 a.m to 1 p.m eastern this is where i read the news and we share our views Remember 7 p.m. Eastern this evening, the Rose Solo Show live on JohnnoRadio.com, QMZRadio.com, ViscosityBlend.com, WKRIS CoffeeRadio.com. It is the interview with international reggae dance hall artist Shinehead. And we will also be streaming it through Clubhouse. So don't forget to come and pick up To my listeners on QMZ Radio and Jano Radio, this was a Moments with Me Media Production. Moments signing out. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Catch you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern for hashtag WCW. We celebrate women through music. But you had to fun. But I had enough. Now I'm really done. I deserve so much more than you gave to me. So now I'm saving.